Well, hello, everybody. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by one of my favorite sponsors and brands. That's right. Duke Cannon. Duke Cannon Supply Co. They are makers of men's grooming goods. And they know that you spend every day giving it your all. So when it comes to helping you smell good, they figured at least one thing should be easy. And that's why they have created the Duke Cannon Solid Cologne. It comes packaged in an indestructible, easy-to-transport tin that's perfect for a leather briefcase or a gym bag. And I would assume everything in between. The Solid Cologne is a concentrated balm that melts at your fingertips for a precision scent application. And if you're going to apply scent, you need to be precise. So you're never going to miss and you're not going to spray yourself in the eye. I've actually done that and somehow I've gotten it in my mouth before too. Neither were great. These products are made with natural and organic ingredients and they come in a range of what would be considered masculine scents. They're $25 each and there's 10 cents to choose from. Two of my favorites are the Bourbon Oak Barrel, which is made from real Buffalo Trace whiskey. What? And Old Glory, which is described as a leaf and leathery aroma. I love these products. The colognes are super cool. My son, my middle son, actually asked me for Christmas for some of their body wash. He loved the fact that it's thick. They're an awesome brand, and I couldn't be happier that they're involved with the podcast. So go check them out. You can get 10% off your entire order at dukecannon.com when you use the promo code CLEAREDHOT. Plus, free shipping on orders over $25. DukeCannon.com. Promo code cleared hot. All one word, all uppercase. Go check them out. You won't regret that you did. This episode is also brought to you by Dollar Shave Club. And if you haven't heard of them, well, now you have. I first heard of the Dollar Shave Club many years ago, actually on an ad read for a podcast. And... I completely ignored it, if I'm being honest, because I was so habituated into buying my razors at a grocery store, as I suspect most men are. They're actually not cheap when you go that route. And they're also not that high quality, in my personal opinion. There's another option if you're looking for it. And that is, of course, what I'm talking about right now. You can, if you want to, stop buying expensive razors out of habit at the grocery store. And you can join the Dollar Shave Club today. Write me out. Try out Dollar Shave Club's Ultimate Shave Starter Set for a one-time trial offer. Five bucks plus free shipping. After that, if you like what you receive, you can continue to get an unimaginably smooth shave as razor refills ship at regular prices right to your door, as often as you want. The convenience of this service is great. The shave I got, get, with these razors, it's awesome. It is equal to, it's not equal to, it is better than the shave that I got from the razors I was buying at the grocery store. Do not let the dollar portion of the Dollar Shave Club define the value for you. These razors are awesome. Again, the Dollar Shave Club's Ultimate Shave Starter Set. Whew, that's a lot. Comes with a six-blade razor with a trimmer edge, two refill cartridges, and a one-ounce tube of prep scrub, shave butter, and post-shave dew. I like the prep scrub. You use it before you shave. You get a little lathery, a little scrubby. You can get in there and you can actually prep the skin and hair 
for the razor, so you're going to get an even closer, even smoother shave. Ditch your overpriced razor and join the club today. With Dollar Shave Club's Ultimate Shave Starter Set for only 5 bucks. It has everything, and emphasis on everything, you need for an amazing shave. The six-blade razor, the shave butter, prep scrub, and post-shave dew. All shipped right to wherever you call home. After that first box, the refills of the razors, they will ship at regular prices on the schedule you want. So try the Ultimate Shave Starter Set today for just 5 bucks, plus free shipping at dollarshaveclub.com slash cleared hot. That is dollarshaveclub.com slash cleared hot. Welcome to the club, everybody. My guest today is Suresh Madhaven. I know, right? Coolest name ever. Way better than Andy Stump, I'm going to tell you that much right now. But I digress. Suresh is a fascinating human being. His experience blew me away. I don't know how else to describe that. This was the longest podcast I have ever recorded, which is why I cut it into two. I feel like four plus hours is probably too much in one shot. But we filled that four plus hours. We talked about a lot of stuff. Suresh was a police officer for 13 years. But his path to becoming a police officer, I am going to describe as atypical. Well, maybe not the path to becoming a police officer, but where he was hired was certainly for that department groundbreaking. And I won't get any deeper into that because we talk about it during the podcast. We talk about where his family is from, where he grew up on the East Coast, his experience as a man of color in this country, as a man of color in law enforcement, and his insight and opinion as to the things that are happening in the world right now through the lens of not only law enforcement, but like I said, somebody who has a perspective that I don't think most of us ever take the time to think about because we don't really experience it on a day-to-day level. In addition to his past in the law enforcement world, he is the founder and CEO of 221B, as in Bravo, Tactical, an organization that makes equipment for the law enforcement first responder world. And on that note, I'm going to shut up and let Suresh speak for himself. Episode 144, Suresh Madhaven, Part 1. Enjoy. Okay, got the red smoke. Gun run! North and south! West of the smoke! West of the smoke! Okay, copy. West of the smoke. I'm looking at danger close now. Oh, what a minute. Give it to me. I made it. Get cleared hot. Captain, cleared hot. We could do this fucking podcast about Apple. Oh, my God. <laughs> I look at all the Apple boxes in my house. I'm like, I'm probably keeping the lights on in that place. Why do you keep the boxes? Um, I say I'm going to keep them just so until that period of when like it, it works and whatever. So I'm like, I'm just going to keep it for like a month, you know, just in case it like blows up or something. You got to give them credit. They're, what would that be? It's a, a packaging, branding. It is lights out. I love the experience and they design it to love the experience of pulling an Apple product out. Yeah. And for those Androids out there, users out there, fuck you. Yeah. That's how I, I go with I don't, that. I don't know who, like I'm like, who, who like I, when, when a text message comes up and, and it's, it's green, green. Yeah. And I'm like, spam. What is, who are you? Who are you? I actually, a couple podcasts ago, I was talking shit on Android users. Jokingly, yeah. they apparently don't have a sense of humor because I got 
a few notes of go fuck yourself. Oh my god, which I can kind of appreciate. Yeah, but like <laughs> seriously, that's like that, 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 that's another thing. That's today's culture, right? It yeah. is. I think they were well. Hopefully, I mean, sarcasm is my primary weapon system. So hopefully, people can tell that I was laying it on. I take their feedback as sarcasm too. Yeah. Except for the one guy who literally wrote me a three pager on how Android is better because it's open ended. I just was like, get the fuck out of here, please, please, <laughs> please. You have too much time on your hands. Yeah. So you do. So I've been looking at it. Um, so um, I had, you know, of course I had my iPhone, and I had uh, my MacBook. I Which I have the same. And yeah. that's why I wonder on an iPad, I've had them in the past, it's a, it has been for me a nice to have. It never actually filled a gap anywhere. It was never a need to have, which don't get me wrong, it didn't stop me from buying it. Yeah. But I've actually, and you're the second person I've asked about this, you responded the same way, that you love it. I love it. Um, I had to go into a transition. My MacBook Pro, I got like in 2012. And it finally got to the point where it was not performing, and I was doing videos, oh, and yeah. so I was like, yeah, "This is getting to the point." But I got surprised you, it lasted that long. I got to tell you, if I was on a PC, it was like every two years I was getting a new PC. There was, you know, yeah. virus, something was going on, whatever. So, uh, back in 2012, my buddy, who is way smarter than me, and like is one of the smartest dudes I know, I was like, "Hey, you know, you're a computer guy." He's like, "Get a Mac." I'm like, "Okay, well, you're smart, so I'm gonna say I'm gonna get a Mac." So um, I got it. I loved it. And I got an iPad, and you know, at some point, because I just wanted one, I was yeah. like, "Yeah, oh, iPad Air, cool." I like want. I said, it's a it's a want, not a need. I don't even know where that fucking thing is right now. It like I My don't. My kids even... have all the ones I've ever bought. Yeah, it's literally a small TV. Yeah, yeah. They keep them. It's like the babysitter, right? <laughs> it's a Netflix portal. Yeah, that's it. A, like a, a really expensive one. Yeah. So um, I don't know where that thing was. So I was just using the Mac, and then as I started doing more video editing for the business and stuff. That screen and like I'm getting older, so that screen was like just not big enough. So I got a monitor yep. that connected to it. So I'd work off the thing, and then it would like mirror or whatever. I'd have essentially two monitors. I've been down this path many times. I know exactly what you're talking about. So I got it, and it helps. It did. It did help. But then I found myself where the it was wired into the monitor, so it was a little bit of a process to ever disconnect it from the monitor. So my laptop essentially became a desktop, yep. and I it never left my desk. And when there was a time where I needed to like do something somewhere else, I'm like, oh, maybe I just want to write a blog, but I want to do it out on the back deck and whatever. I was like, ah, oh, I don't want to take this thing apart. So I would like. And write... the iPhone is not acceptable. Well, no phone is acceptable for writing a blog post. Or no stuff. Yeah. Right. And I just was like, I mean, I when I got the phone, I was like, you know, I went in. They're like, well, which one do you want? I'm like, I want the biggest one possible because you know for pictures and stuff like that. Yep. So, um, so I had, you know, I always had the phone and then when it came time when the thing was dying out, my MacBook, uh, I went to, uh, my, my buddy again and he's like, have you ever thought about the iMac? I'm like, a what? He's like the iMac, like the big monitor behind the Oh, there, there, you <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> I didn't see it. Yeah. There you yep. go. I'm like, really? He's like, he's like, when's the last time you took your laptop off your desk? I'm like, um... 2017 he's like so you have a desktop i said yeah he's like get an imac you're doing video editing you're doing some high speed stuff he's like it, it, and he's like and you are using another monitor anyway it's like, good to have friends like this by the way yeah you can unfuck you yeah i was like i'm like, oh. I was like man you're making a lot of sense right now 
All right. He's like, because I was looking at a new MacBook Pro. Yeah. So he's like, all right. So uh, I just got it uh, about uh, two weeks ago. I love it. But what it made me do was this, which I had, which once again started like collecting dust a little bit. I just got that. I was like, yeah, I want it. Yep. The laptop is now pretty much decommissioned. And now this has become my laptop. Which, is it serving? Is it oh. accurate or not even an accurate? A is it a replacement truly for a laptop? Well, I had the MacBook Pro from 2012, okay. so this thing made so an iPhone would be a replacement for that. Yeah, that thing was like like <laughs> like a StarTech phone would for have sure. been a replacement. So what I did was kind of that kind of got decommissioned, and I started actually using this more as my mobile thing because taking that on an airplane and whatever and now this is always with me um i take it if i go out i throw it in my pickup yeah because if i'm sitting somewhere waiting i don't need to like be sitting i'm like what sometimes i find myself like searching for something i'm like what am i doing i have this right here so i've been transitioning more and more and and you can search fat just because it's bigger it's bigger it has a full keyboard you know that uh flips out you know the whole thing um it stands up so it's actually when you're reading stuff, it's really nice to read stuff on it because it's like, once again, like, you know, I'm not ancient, but like, it's nicer not to be like this reading, yeah. like, you know, a post where you have this. So I've started using this a lot more since I got my iMac. And um, I don't even, this is my laptop, and I don't even, I, I could do some basic editing on here yeah. um, and transfer everything right. But at least do picture type stuff. It yeah. might be some basic video if you needed to. Basic video, not, you know, um, I got that uh, Final Cut Pro. Yep, that's what and, I use as well. Yeah, and it's it's awesome. I know uh, there's an app for this uh, that's really good, LumaFusion. Um, it's really good, but mm. I just don't want to start using two different ones, so I kind of... If I want to learn something, I want to learn it, and I want to learn it inside out. I don't want to try to learn this, and you know, I'm like, come on, let me. Yeah, I can't. I don't have that much bandwidth. So, has it fallen short for you anywhere? Because that's what I worry about. Is there's a gap? Um, it has capability. No, it hasn't. The uh, the if anything, it's made me more efficient because it has like the thing. I don't know if you know, like you could actually like work in multiple windows at the yep. same time and move things out of the way and bring things in and drag pictures right into emails and really oh man at like so i you know youtube where like the world learns everything like it's the world's library oh my god <laughs> first of all if youtube existed when i was a kid oh no yeah forget about how it how do you burn this how do you <laughs> blow up that yeah it would my google youtube search would be i'm just glad it didn't exist what it i almost am i almost am too cuz yeah. we figured stuff out yeah. and it was scary enough i can't imagine having the Handbook. We, figured, we figured, it, figured it out and failed because we were idiots and didn't know what we were doing yeah. because of the lack of information. Yeah, imagine all the dumb things that I wanted to do, uh-huh. and I had a, a step-by-step tutorial explaining to me yeah. how to make a f- explosive rocket in my backyard. Like, I don't need any of that. No. Because no. <laughs> we would have made it. We would have made it. Wow. Okay, so you're a fan of it. You know, that's the second person. I'm going to need to uh, expand. Actually, i got a guy staying at my house right now who is... He was the other guy that I asked. I need to find a couple of the people that use it because it's trending towards, at least for a mobile solution, like you said, in the car, in the glove box. Yeah. Maybe not the glove box. I don't know if that's an acceptable solution. And by the way, disclaimer, people, this isn't an, an Apple advertisement. Um, we're going to talk about other stuff. Yeah. Apple has not uh, contributed a damn dime to this. It's actually been another the other direction. I yeah. contribute money to their <laughs> charitable causes if they 
choose to take my retail purchases yeah. and have any direct it. Yeah. Well, you have podcast notes on your iPad. Where would you like to start? First off, we should start with your name. Oh, yeah. It's it's not like John Smith. It's not at all. Uh, Suresh Madhaven. Suresh Madhaven. It's a solid name. Not You know, not as a kid. <laughs> not as a kid. This is probably very true. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, now I've grown to... Now I've grown. People now... When you're older... You know, adults like are like Madhaven. Wow, that's a strong name. When you're a kid, no one says, "Oh, that's a strong name." People are like, "What the?" F-? Yeah, yeah. No, now older people are like, "Man, that's you're a Renaissance man." <laughs> like you're sophisticated because of your last name, as if you had a choice in it. Really, no. Yeah, yeah. I cursed my mom daily. Yeah, daily. Well, first off, I'm glad that we're here. Um, yeah. Thank you for reaching out. I'm very. Uh, I mean, I'm sure we'll go down a variety of paths, but thankful that you took the time to get here yeah interesting times when it comes to travel but i think your insight is it's it's something that i don't think a lot of people necessarily have access to and i think that sucks yeah um i don't have anybody here that i can talk to that has the background that you have i have other people who are leo they all look like me though yeah you know and this valley is not culturally diverse it's really not Um, and i don't know i don't think people really avoid that topic at all but at the same time they don't bring it up very often it's from a statistical perspective not very diverse that's just the way that it is right yeah. now so you know the your lens on life and your experiences i'm interested to hear them for sure yeah um i gotta tell you the people here have been very friendly very open i haven't sensed any kind of um you know grown up looking like me you get very um, keen to when people you know aren't too much Very of a attuned. fan. Yeah, yeah, not a fan of you. Um, I haven't I haven't felt any of that here. And you know, last time I was out here a couple of years ago, I was in and out, and I I didn't fe- you know once yeah. again I didn't feel it. You know, so um, it's funny. I was uh, texting with a friend, and uh, uh, just two days ago, and uh, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm heading out to Montana, and they're like. Montana, that's a red state. You better be careful. Now, <laughs> literally, literally. I'll show you the message later. As L- if every single person in any state that would either be red or blue is going to fall into a stereotype associated with that. Right, right. <laughs> and I was like, every single one. There's no, there's no, uh, you know, individuals at all. No, it's just we're no. all everyone. Paint us with that red brush. Everyone. Like I said, <laughs> what, what, I said, what do you think? Like I'm going to get off the plane and like in Hawaii they put the lay over your like. What do you think they're going to put a MAGA hat on me when I come off the plane and be like welcome? I said no. It's like I said. I said, why would you say that? Why would you say that? I said, that's part of the problem right now. It is. That's part of the problem. There's no middle ground. No. It's blue, red, or go fuck yourself. <laughs> I mean, that's literally the yeah. option. So like, wow, okay. Yep. It's, it's So it's basically pick your STD, mm-hmm. blue or red. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, and the candidates are the same way. It's let, let, which, which STD do you want? Yep. The system is broken. And the, now, now I'm talking completely my opinion, obviously. Uh, but I did a podcast about this the other day too, and people get twisted. And I'm, I'm like, they both suck. Mm-hmm. They both suck. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I've never been a politics guy. Neither have I. I've never been a politics guy. I've never, I never go too deep into politics. I never go too deep into religion. I never, I try to stay in that middle ground and always see both sides. Uh, growing up, how I grew up, which we'll get into, and like where I grew up, I kind of had to be like that because. I think that's a problem. You take that hardline stance one way or another, and 
you become cognitively blind to anything and everything that might counter what you're thinking, feeling, what side you're on. That's just not healthy, you know? Do you think people realize when they get to that spot? That's something that I I think, so I feel the same way. I feel, and I've said this often, I feel like I land in the middle on almost every issue. I, I believe in reasonable solutions. It, you know, is, is it possible? Is it reasonable? Is it pragmatic? Like, I'm all about those things. And I think most people are like that. And then if you turn on the news, it's what I see mostly is it gets farther to the left or to the right. So whatever outlet you go to, if it's a blue outlet or red outlet, you're going to get like the extreme far end of that spectrum, which doesn't represent the people in the middle. Yeah. But I think it fucks with your head if you're in the middle and that's all that you end up seeing. And I, do you think that people get to do you think they realize that they're blind when they're in those spots? I don't. I don't think they they do. I think they... Because um... I see people, as I'm sure that you do, it's just, if you get into a conversation with them, within one sentence, if you disagree or say something counter, within one sentence, they're like, fuck you, Trump. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it, it, it's immediately down that path. Yeah. Which is not even... I shouldn't say a conversation because that's not what it is if that's their only path. No. And I and I just wonder if they even realize they're so deep down the rabbit hole. I don't think they do. I think they um, they've become so, like I said, cognitively blind to that belief that they literally. And I said this uh, on a, a Facebook Live a couple weeks ago, uh, maybe a week ago, and I said, "What happened to you know debate teams? Like when I was in high school." There was like debate teams, right? And like little jackets. Yeah, yeah. Maybe like a pin. Like <laughs> yeah. I would just find a pin that looked cool. Yeah. I don't know what it was. It was. Probably like a Halloween, you know, uh, pumpkin. And you'd sit there, and they'd give you a topic, right? And you know, your group of you know students had to come up with their argument, and yep. and then you'd go back and forth. There was a moderator, and someone's okay. Well, you guys made the better argument. You know, you guys are just but. At least at the end, everyone was like, well, you know, we gave it a shot and we saw both sides of it. High fives, move on with your life. That's it. No, that. there was no mortal enemies created No, in that. No. Have you seen the videos of like neighbors ripping out the political signs from the other, like their neighbor's yard, they're ripping it out. One of the best ones I saw though, I'm gonna have to find it. A guy hooked up a battery to the metal portion of his sign, crushed his neighbor. Oh my it was God. awesome. He caught the reaction. Oh, so that guy was that was a high level fuckery. I totally support that. But then there's other ones where they're like fist fights. Oh, I know. it's like, hey man, that's your neighbor. Right. It's okay to disagree. That, like if your house lights on fire or their house somehow is on fire and they're screaming for help, are you telling me you're not going to help them because they have a different sign in their yard? Right. Well, that goes to police work. Like you can't, as a cop, like doctors or whatever, you can't look at someone based on. The sign on their yard, or oh, the, you'd have to be the, apolitical. You you gotta just do your job. You can't ever, like I, you know, we'll get into it, but like, I've ha- I've been on calls where there's people who I heard them say to the paramedics that they didn't want me in their house because I showed up and the town I worked in, and we get into it was you know had a bad history, and um, there was someone having a heart attack. Heart attack, and paramedics showed up, and uh, you know the police always show up with the paramedics, and um, this person didn't want me in their home, so I kind of had to wait, and I was like, wait a second, like, like 
I'm going to just do what I need to do. I don't care what this guy says. Um, I could have just said, all right, screw you, man. I'm just going to go sit in the patrol car and I'll wait till the rig shows up and, you know, whatever. Um, but you can't do that. I didn't want to do that. Um, it's crazy how in a situation like that, like I thought about it after the fact. I'm like, wow, like what if the paramedics were tied, like tied up? Like I had like the defib, I had the O2, like I had my little oh, patrol yeah. bag. You could like, have at least sustained them until I, a higher level of care. Right. Like, you know, which all we can do, you know. And this guy, I'm like, this guy would rather die than let a black guy into his house. Is like, what? Like that's it, like it like blew my mind. And, yeah. But that's you know, so I'm never blind to the fact that that exists. Because I know it exists, um, but you have to know how to navigate that. But to be in that position where someone has a sign on their lawn, that means they're the devil, they are racist, they're this, they're this, they're that. I'm like, when when did we get to that? What happened to the phrase, let's agree to disagree? What happened to that phrase? It, there's, it doesn't exist anymore. Like, I remember back in the day where I'd have conversations with people. And we'd end up like, well, let's just agree to disagree on that, and we'd move on. But now it's like, there is no agree. You're to disagree. the devil. You're this. Yeah. You're that. And I'm like, what? Like, how did we get here as humans? I think, and this is a complete assumption and conjecture on my part. I think it's because we have it so goddamn good. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. That we have the opportunity. To sit around and act like assholes because life here, uh, we've had, I've had the opportunity to travel. I don't know the breadth and depth that you've had the opportunity to travel. I've been to, when I was in the military, let's just say we didn't hit the five star resorts. <laughs> all right. So I got to see some of the negative five star stuff. And I, and I'm like, when I, like you're saying, you land here, it's yeah. fucking beautiful in this valley. I'm ah. so appreciative. I, I actually, I mean, I talk to myself a lot. I don't know if that's an indication of mental health, but I'll be driving home and I, and I will verbalize. I'm like, I am so glad that I live here. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm not going to, because of that and because I feel so fortunate about the opportunities and the things that we have, I'm not, I could care less the sign that somebody has in their yard. I would get irritated if they were like spray painting my house or moving their signs into my yard. I'd be like, hey, man, um, I'm cool with you doing you, but like here's the property line, just you and you on your side. I'm never going to bother you. But there's no mortal enemy in that. No. But people are <sighs> soft. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I had this conversation. I had, I was on a car ride from somewhere when I was uh, earlier. And, um, the driver was like, you know, so what do you think? Which was really ballsy. I was like, <laughs> wow, okay, we're going there in an Uber? Um, and, uh, it, you know, he was like a white kid. He's yeah. like, so what do you think? Like, what, you know, what do you, what do you think is causing all this? And I said- uh, Shout out to the crazy white kid going for like, it. Like, Five stars on the conversation like, section. Go for it. I was like, man. <laughs> and it said, it said, loves conversations. I was like, I said, well, I'll be honest with you. I said- I think people, their lives are so uninteresting and they have no issues at all. They have to create an issue to make themselves feel whole. Like I see some of these people at these riots and I would bet a lot of money that most of these people have never felt the oppression that I felt, have never felt racism of any kind like I've dealt with. 
but they were there in their life. There was no issues. They were just going through life and nothing was wrong. And that's a void for some people. So they have to say... And if you don't have a purpose or if you haven't found your purpose yet, I think that those issues can be very attractive to somebody who is a little bit adrift at sea. Yeah, yeah. And then they, they that's, that's it. That's their purpose. They're, they're going to hone in on that, and that's what they're going to do. And, you know... You- I would love to grab some of these writers and just, just from a conversational perspective, like, what is it that you are riding against? How are your actions directly related to the change that you want? Yeah. And what is it exactly that you want changed. If they were able to give me those answers, for one, I have no tolerance for writing at all because that's idiotic and it does nothing. It destroys the communities and the neighborhoods. And if if this, I'm hearing you know a lot and I don't know how much of it is true, but basically tourism riding, riding at this point, people traveling around yep. to get involved with this shit that yep. aren't even, so they don't even live there and they're burning a place to the ground that they get to leave. That doesn't help anybody there. But if a protester fully support the first amendment, peace, peaceful, Protest, and if they can answer those things, I mean, I'm totally on board with supporting that. Oh, totally. But just be able to tell me what it is that you believe and why. And, you know, when you're 19 and you haven't, you haven't experienced, I would say, I mean, and I'm not telling 19 year olds not to get involved, but what I'm saying is know what you're getting involved in. That's the only advice that I would give. I have no problem with people doing things that they're passionate about and going headlong down that path. But just do us all the favor and have an understanding of what it is you're involved with. Know your mission and your objective. And And how those two things are connected. Right. And like, (laughs) how are your actions going to align with that mission and that objective? Because if going somewhere and lighting a police car on fire and lighting a building on fire and breaking into a store and running out with goods and merchandise i don't know how that aligns with the ultimate purpose of well what people want i think like i've asked people and they can't answer the question they just don't know um like what do people want? They want perfect police officers, right? They don't want they want police. which is impossible because we're talking about human beings. We're human beings, right? So unless we get to the RoboCop era, awesome movie, and the well, let's define the original. All, okay, the original. I can one. get on board with. That. I was like, I was like seven. The new one. I didn't see the new one. Give it a hard pass. Let me <laughs> save you some time. Let me save you the hour and forty eight minutes that that movie is. Just swipe to the next movie in Netflix. <laughs> But that's what people want, right? People yeah. want like these. Ro- and even then, how would anybody ever agree, right? We'll go back to blue and red. You telling me we're going to come into the middle and agree on the programming that's going to go into that yeah. machine that's supposed to govern us all? It's never going to happen. That'll be the next complaint, the next thing. But as long as human beings are controlling policing, right? There's always going to be judgment calls. There's always going to be errors. There's always going to be split-second decisions that maybe was right, maybe was wrong, but we're never going to have a society where police officers never make a mistake. So if we're going to just keep going down this path where every time a police officer shoots someone of color, the city burns down. Um, Give it enough time and the cities are all going to burn. They're all Every city's going to burn, and it's just going to spread 
outside of the cities, which is, you know, you know, my fear. So I've asked certain people, I'm like, what do you want? Like, ultimately, what you want? They're like, well, justice for people of color not to get shot and killed by white police officers. I said, okay. And I'm not going to get into the percentages because everyone yep. knows it's a minuscule percentage. But when you look at the job and you look at what you have to do, like I know people who are doctors, right? And they have to make decisions in the OR. However, it's controlled, right? They have lights, they have technology, they have cameras, they have robots, they have a team of really smart dudes and dudettes around and they're like, they're they like something goes wrong, like something starts bleeding that shouldn't be they got it and they have the they some time, right? And I bet they have the ability, I know nothing about surgery, but I bet at this point they have the ability to reach out to other people from just oh, an information yeah. perspective, be like, hey, this is what's going on. and Totally, yeah. totally. So so not only what they have in the room, but a higher level of information and a, why they could probably reach out to the world experts. Yeah, they could They could literally like scrub out and say, I'll be right back, go, consult, and they can come back in, yep. right? Cops don't have that. Like- you have a guy running, grab your weapon. You have a guy running into a car and you like, what? I don't know. What's he going to get? Is he going, like, I don't know. We have no idea, right? Because, you know, very timely what we're talking about, what just yeah. happened. Like, no one wants to see the video and no one's talking about the video that I saw early on as a police officer where the police officer was yelling at a guy to, who was talking to him and he said, and the guys just started walking away. And he said, hey, come back here. Hey, come back here. Hey, come back. And all he said was, hey, come back here. And he kind of like started walking toward him. And he didn't go after him. He didn't grab him. And the guy just casually didn't run, wasn't like rushing, just casually went in, pulled out an AR from his vehicle and lit the cop up. I will never forget the sound of that officer screaming after he was shot, um, which most people have no idea, right? Like you get shot with a two, two, three round and you're dying and you're screaming. And then the guy walked up and stood over the officer and executed him and put a bullet through his eye. Um, I'll never forget him screaming. And that video made me realize that if I'm ever on a car stop and someone walks away from me and starts walking back to their car, there's one of two things that's gonna happen. I'm gonna tackle that person and make sure that they don't get back in that car, or I am immediately running and getting cover and drawing down, and the second that guy pops up, he's getting rounds on him. That's really your choices. That's yeah. all you have. You can be offensive or defensive. I mean, those are the choices that you described. And even in your defensive move, you're setting yourself up to be offensive. Yeah. But it, yeah, based off that scenario, and yeah, I just don't think people understand the complexity of even just that aspect of your job, a patrol stop, and interfacing with people in their vehicle where even when you approach it to begin that, but even if you you know you do a stop where you pull a guy out, that's one thing. But when you are walking up to the vehicle, the dead space, the things you can't see, like... Yep. Yeah, people don't know. People yeah. have no idea where 20, 25 times a shift every day, you are... First of all, you're stepping out of your car and there's cars going by at like 80 miles an hour People are texting. People have their like twenty-inch screen in their Tesla now, so they're doing like they're like watching like you know Netflix while they're driving. Like the car is driving itself. Whatever. The people aren't paying attention, right? Yeah. So that was the number one threat: the eight thousand pound bullet coming at me. There's some gnarly YouTube videos of close calls too. Oh. Cruiser doors getting ripped off. I've had them. 
Yeah. I've had them. You know, I've had them. So that was always the first concern. So you're stepping out of a vehicle on a highway, and your concern is not to get run over, but you're also thinking, I, I can't get run over from something coming from behind me, but I got to make sure that this guy I'm stopping didn't just rob a bank and isn't waiting to send some rounds my way. So you're watching two threats at one time. So you go up to this car, and as you're walking up, you have no idea who they are. Windows could be tinted black. You have no idea where they're coming from, what they're doing. This guy could have just killed his wife and his family and is on the run, and you stopped him for his taillight out, and he's thinking, shit, they got me. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to jail. So you got to be ready for that every single car stop until you find out that this person is just driving to yeah, like, grandma or whatever yeah, it is. Whatever. Yeah. Um, people don't get that. People don't understand that. And it's really easy for someone to say, well, cops are like trigger happy. Cops are on edge. Well, yeah, you're on edge. Do the job for like a day, right? And you'll realize that's why cops like die like a few years after they retire because like your heart can't take that so many times a day. And, yeah. you know, um, so that lack of understanding makes people, especially with the proliferation of social media, everyone's an attorney, everyone's an expert, everyone's a highly trained ninja, right? And they're like, oh, well, they could have done this. Or wait, why didn't the cops do this? And, you know, there is no ban on stupidity, right? So people who have never walked in those shoes are asking questions that if they had done the job for six hours, they would say, oh, no, 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 I, I get it. I know, you know. Um, but that's what we have today. We And everyone has this voice. Everyone yep. can talk. Everyone can spew whatever they want from, you know, the from the sanctity of their couch on their phone. And, like, they're hidden. They have some fake screen name and whatever. And that's the danger that we have where people who don't have any right to speak on things are speaking on things and and it's making an impact too i uh i'm starting to hear more about and even locally i know guys who are like you know what i'm done with this mm -hmm. and people are driving whether they are intentionally doing so or they just want their voice to be heard they're, I think they're driving that occupation towards a direction that nobody wants to see it go. And it, I mean, the let's say it takes a little bit of a right-hand turn. It's going to take a long time to get that thing to come back on course. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't. There's no. no easy solution. I mean, I have no solution for it. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this: one. defunding the police and removing train the training that this is another thing police most people don't know about police training is horrific it is would you say across the board or is that department specific i would say for the most part across the board i worked at a department that was regarded as very high speed you know and our training was like compared to other departments was so much better we you know we had so much more equipment we had so much more capacity and our training was awful. I didn't quite know how bad it was until I left and I started doing real training. And then I look back, I'm like, oh my God, like, I don't know how I survived. I don't know how, like, I didn't end up dead on some of these calls. And they literally think that they're doing good training because yeah. they don't know any better, right? They just think, you know, you know, hey, we're, we're doing more 
than what these guys are doing. Well, they only have one touch point. They have what you know what they're experiencing, and they don't have the the context to bounce it off of probably other departments, right, or other areas, right. Like less bad doesn't mean it's good. Correct. Right? So, um, I saw that a little bit when I was in, but then obviously you know it was glaring when I left. Um, most people don't know that. Most people think that they see a police officer and they have a gun and they have, you know, the badge and the car and the le- you know that this is a highly trained individual. Most cops shoot twice a year for their qualification. The qualification is on a piece of cardboard that doesn't move. I mean, it moves in closer to you, but yep. it's not dynamic. And um, the minimum qualification to pass is embarrassing. So most cops don't shoot in between those. You know, I was at uh, almost a 100-man department. Maybe one or two guys ever shot outside of quals. And I would assume that's probably because it came out of their pocketbook if yeah, they were going to. Yeah, yeah, they had to go to the range. They had to you know, get their own ammo and you know, get targets. You know. But to me, how could you not take that seriously? So um, there were some guys who like hunted, like bow hunting, mm-hmm. you know, but when it came to like— Which doesn't help in your squad does, No. <laughs> no, I'm like, what are we, Robin Hood? Like, yeah. you know, like you can't— like you If can't, you ever need a bow and arrow as a police officer, shit has gone so sideways. So bad. It is so <laughs> so bad at that point. You're like rifling through your trunk to find something that is lethal. <laughs> what, is, what do I got? A flare? <laughs> um, so you, you look at that, and most people were like, you know, oh, man, you're a cop, so you know you got, you know, you got, you, you probably do this, you probably do I'm like, nope, nope, nope. That's why in most police shootings, the cops always miss. Most of the time, they're, they're always missing. Um, as of late, a couple of past couple of incidents, they've actually hit, and which is, you know, to me, I'm always shocked. I'm always shocked when I see police. I mean, this most recent one was point blank, so it, it doesn't matter. But uh, other incidents, I'm shocked because I know most of these guys don't shoot. And, yep. you know, um, the bad guys usually get luckier and will get the headshot, you know, shooting sideways. Um but that is what needs to happen. More training, more training around the situations that police are dealing with on an everyday basis that most people have no idea. We got to wear like 10 hats, right? Yep. I, I was like a new cop. I was 20-something years old, and I'm going into a house with two 40-something-year-old people. Their teenage kid is out of control, and I have to go in and like play like counselor. Uh, you know, a wife is beat up, and I got to go in and, like, you know, put this, calm this guy down, talk to this one, and then the kids are crying in the bedroom. So after dealing with the, this guy who's drunk who just tuned up his wife and the wife who's screaming at the police for being there because, you know, if she, he gets locked up, she, how's she going to pay her bills, and he's going to come back and kill her, so don't do anything. And the kids are crying, so then after dealing with that, you got to go to the, like, kid's room, and, like, I've had to, like, read a kid a bedtime story, like, before I secure from the house. And I'm like, what is going on here? Like you come in and you're like, you're like amped up. You have your hand on your gun. You think you know, a fight's going to go down, and you end it reading like Dr. Seuss. And people are like, "Wow, you got to like do all that." I'm like, "Yeah, that all happened in like 20 minutes." Yeah, then you got to go to the next call. The next call, which, which could probably sound similar to the first one, but have a completely different end state. Absolutely, absolutely. It could be identical to the first one, but go a completely yeah. different route. Um, and we don't have the training for it. We don't have the training for it. We're not trained for it. Do you think it's possible to train? I mean, how much time would they have to dedicate, in your opinion, to train an officer to handle the breadth and depth of situations they encounter? I would say that 
if they did it on a consistent and regular basis, maybe every month, just uh, something different, you know, because there'd be times where we'd go months without any training at all. Yeah. And then next thing you know, a training would pop up and it's, oh, you got to go in and, you know. But how much do you retain if you have six months in between or even a, even just a, you know, a business quarter, you know, three months yeah. in between. Like it, it just so precipitously drops off. Yeah. You lose it and yeah. you, you're not dealing with every call every single day. Um, and the thing that we need most, I feel, as police in this country are the physical de-escalation things because we're not rioting because people like hurt someone's feeling a cop like yelled at someone and like cursed at them and hurt someone's feelings right there's riots and people are getting shot like two people just got shot in wisconsin again they locked up a 17 year old kid i mean this is what's cruising crazy. around with an ar right this is like crazy what is happening right now all for an incident that yes it shouldn't have happened it could have been avoided there's fault on both. Have the details even truly come out of that incident yet? Because I know the video, of course, hits social media before. There's no way they could do an investigation before that shit no. went live. No. And then the reaction is based off of what people are seeing, right. building that there's you know fuel going on the fire. Then literally that city is on fire, and uh, by the time the investigation does come out, and I'm not I'm not trying to shirk blame from anybody because I have no idea what happened. But let's go hypothetical and say that it becomes a justified shooting. He was, in fact, let's say there's a body cam and you can see clearly the guy reaching in the car for a gun, which I don't know if that happened at all. But let's say that it did and the shooting was justifiable. That city still burned. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The cart's so far in front of the horse. Yeah. Nobody has any tolerance to sit there and say, listen, let's figure out what happened before we burn where we live to the fucking ground where you live you hit it on the head and that is probably the most bizarre thing about this whole situation we know that some of these areas are already depressed right there's struggle there's strife i don't you know people like to point the finger at who's running those cities and what party they're with and i don't disagree with a lot of that because at some point you have to look at who's running these cities and what party they're in. And, yeah. like, you know, if it's been 30 years, well, at some point, you got to, like, look around and wake up and say, okay, we've been here for, like, a couple of decades now. We've lost family members to gang violence. We've lost family members to drugs. Kids can't even walk to school. Like, there's metal detectors. Like, okay, maybe we got to, like, maybe look into getting someone else to run the show. Well, and that's where I think, you know, statistics and trends, like, you can – year after year after year after year and if you're not changing anything and it's getting worse or staying the same i mean i'm not a mathematician right but you know perhaps change one side of the equation to look for a different outcome yeah i mean what's the definition of insanity doing the same thing but expecting a different outcome exactly and that's what you see in a lot of these cities Fuck. you're like you're, you just they keep voting the same kind of people in and they still have the same problems year after year after year um, at some point, like if that, if you took this and you put it in any kind of situation and you saw a group of people who were in, in a situation where they were suffering, there was pain, there was suffering, there was angst, and there was a, someone overseeing that, that was, you know, in charge of them. And the people, if given this chance every once in a while, said, hey, listen, your captor. You have a chance to 
pick a new one. Do you, would you like a new one? Maybe a nicer one? Maybe someone who maybe give you more food or, do you know, give, get you out of this, like, this bad position. And the people saying, no, no, just, let's, we'll just use the same guy. And, like, if he goes, we'll just take his brother who's just like him or his, like, that's, ex- like, if you saw that outside, people would be like, are these people crazy? Yeah. Are what, like, are, are they, like, asking for this? Like, what's the matter with these people? But yet it does play itself out. But it happens, and we're seeing it time and time and time again, where what's not talked about is I've been to some of these cities, and um, the people in those neighborhoods are scared. Like, people, like, there's almost, like, a sense, and I don't know if it's the media, where they're like, well, these people have become immune to it, right? You know, they're like they're they're they they just live in the violence. They're used to it, right? No, like I've gone to some of these cities, and the people who live in these areas, they're like they're tired of the violence. They're tired of the shooting. So, like you talk to everyone, someone's lost a family member, someone's lost a yeah. child, someone's lost a cousin. They are tired of it. Most of the time, they're like, "We need more cops. We need more cops here." But what you see on TV is like the select group of people yelling defund the police and F the police and all this stuff. But when you actually get boots on the ground in there, you start hearing the real narrative. They're not looking for less cops. They're not looking to defund the police. They realize that if the police left those neighborhoods, it would be anarchy. Yeah. The it'd, be some, are... it'd be some Game of Thrones shit. Oh, my God. I mean, it would be scary. It would be scary. And the people who live there, they're the ones who know it would be scary. That's why the people who don't live there are the ones who are like, you don't need the cops, defund them, burn their cars. They're not in the mix. They're not in the shit. They're not living it. It's easy when you're outside of it to talk about what they need and what can go and, you know, all that. It's real easy. The people there are suffering. It's bad. I've been to some of these neighborhoods, like, over a 10-year period, and... It's only getting worse. It's only getting worse. And you're like, man, aren't these people like tired of this? Are they like they tired? They they've become numb to the violence, and it's kind of part of their everyday life. Like someone gets shot, and there's almost like no tears anymore. They're like, oh, he got shot. Who shot him? Oh, where? Oh. Yeah, yeah, I can't even believe some of the statistics that come out about Chicago. Oh, it's just the gun violence there. Yeah. I would only imagine that there's a level of being numb. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 become common. It's become common, and that's a scary place to be when that level of violence and that level of crime becomes just commonplace. And you, it's almost like a pl- place of dare I say like hopelessness where they don't ever think that it's ever going to get better so they just kind of they kind of become resol- resolute in okay well this is our lives this is what we're going to deal they feel like they they don't have any hope of it ever getting any better so well maybe vote someone else in now nah, well, what are they going to do you know they've had decades of politicians making promises and all this stuff and nothing ever happens they lost hope you know yeah. and um you know we can go down the rabbit hole of why this is happening, um, and I know it's not a popular opinion that I have of it, but I feel like I have, I'm have i entitled to speak about this because of how I grew up. Um, I don't know how far back you want to go, but like... To the beginning. To, you know, um, so I never met my dad. You know, uh, my mom 
uh, is from India, South India. And uh, she um, went to nursing school in England and uh, ultimately had to go back to India and had to do some kind of commitment for medicine and um, I think something involved with the Korean War. I think Indian sent like med India sent medical personnel, whatever. So anyway, she ended up uh, immigrating here and coming to Albany, New York. How'd she settle on Albany, New York? Um, I think it was probably just like a work opportunity, okay. you know, to be a nurse. She was an RN. And um, then uh, she was still pretty young. So um, I think she had to go back and get arranged marriage. Um, she got arranged marriage. Um, they had uh, my older sister and then came to uh, New York and then I think ultimately moved from Albany to Staten Island and had my middle sister. And then um, this is where the story, I think, gets a little, like, cloudy. And I've never pushed it with my mom to ask, but um, somehow, some way, um, my mom was pregnant, but my sister's uh, father's um, left and went back to India and or whatever. And apparently there was some kind of issue with not maybe even not wanting another child. I don't know. I have no idea. It's, it's been very, like, cloudy. So I my mom was, I think, six months pregnant with me. And uh, he left. He left, you know. Um, was that my actual dad? Like, the dad of my sisters, was that mine? Or was there did something squirrely happen? I don't know. Um you know, people see me and they look at my size and they look, you know, they look at me like, there's no way you're Indian. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're like, you're, you're 6'2", 215? That's like the biggest Indian person ever. You know, they see an Indian person like, wait, look at the guy at the 7-Eleven. You don't look like him. Um, so, uh, but, so either way, so I, I never met him. I never met who the person is that would be my father. Um, and, uh, you know, most people don't know how that feels, you know, but there's a lot of people in the African-American community who know how yes. that feels. Um, Single mothers raising mm -hmm. sons and daughters. Yeah. Sometimes mom and dad are removed from the picture and it's yeah. grandma raising the child. Statistically much higher rate than yeah. uh, other races for sure. Which is another thing that I say that isn't popular but sometimes the truth is painful the having children out of wedlock and the single parent household it's tough it is tough it's not easy so to well it's not easy if you have a family in general yes it doesn't get easier if you add those other things right it only makes it tougher correct so um so i understand that so um so from day one i came into this earth and I was solo. My oldest sister was taking care of me. She was, I think, um, I think, uh, like thirteen years older. So, um, so she was essentially thirteen when I was born, and she got thrust into the role of caretaker. Caretaker. Um, so uh, my mom was tough. She was, you know, she was the authoritarian. She like, you know, she had to be. She realized she had to be. Like the mom, the dad, the enforcer, um, or else she was going to lose control. Like she had to have a heavy hand early. Did you have a father figure growing up? Somebody outside of your maybe immediate family? Um, I did later on in life. 
um, uh, after we moved from New York. But um, so she, she, my mom moved to this neighborhood on Staten Island. And for those people who are listening who know Staten Island, Staten Island, even to this day, it's a little bit more diverse than it was back then. But at that time, it was like 99.9% like Italian. Like, you know, that was it, you know? And there was a lot of mob influence. Actually, the neighborhood we grew up in was actually developed by a mobster um, who ended up going to jail, but I think he got out. I'm not sure. But um, so um, that's the rumor has it. The, the neighborhood's called Bull's Head, and the rumor is that Sammy the Bull Gravano was the one who was responsible for that neighborhood. So, but my mom settled there. Don't ask me how. You know, built a house there and was like, okay, this is the place. Well, nailed it. Found our home. Right. <laughs> well, there was no one there that looked like her or my sisters or me. And, you know, my sisters and my mom almost have like a Hispanic complexion, hmm. you know, very light, you know, maybe like a Filipino complexion. Right. And then there was me. Like I came in and people were like, that's like baby Wesley Snipes. Like, wh- like who was this little boy who was like so dark? And um, it was tough. It was really tough growing up in that area. The kids were all pretty kind, um, and some of the most of the parents were pretty kind. Um, but you could tell there was always a sense of n- I didn't belong, and like I even I remember feeling it as a kid, you know. So um, as the years went on, the neighborhood like got I don't want to say it got worse, but more the neighborhood became more and more developed and the people in the neighborhood made it very clear that they didn't want our family living in that neighborhood so um but my mom was a fighter and she said you know i came to this country to give my children a good life and um i'm gonna i'm gonna raise them here and uh they were like, yeah, no. So it culminated. <laughs> uh, take your plan and go fuck yourself. Yeah. It was like, and she, like, my, she was so hard headed. She was just like, you know, but she was tough. You know, she's a tough lady. Um, you know, did things to our vehicle, did things to the home, and um, she, like, fought through it. She'd call the police, and sometimes the police wouldn't show up. Sometimes the police would show up, and they would just be like, they'd just dismiss her because I don't want to say the police were on the take but they kind of knew the situation in the neighborhood, right? It was one of those neighborhoods where, like, you took care of your own, right? So ultimately, um, one night, um, uh, my middle sister and I were, uh, uh, well, first things first. On the day my oldest sister, who was taking care of me since I was born, the day she turned 18, like the day, there was a knock on the door. And uh, I... I was little, but I remember it. I just, people are like, oh, you don't remember. Like, I remember it. I think it was like, you know, probably like five. I remember it. I saw two police officers. I saw my sister there, and she was there to take her stuff and move out. And she's lucky she called the police. She was smart. She realized that if she tried to do this without the police, there would have been a murder. She called the police herself. She called the police. She wasn't home. I guess she was out somewhere and went to the police and said, "Um, I'm 18. I'm leaving my house. My mom is a lunatic, and I need 
you guys to come with me so I can like pack all my shit and leave. That's some chess right there. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, well played. Well played. Very well played. So yeah. I remember the two cops there, NYPD, and you know, I was like, wow, like what like what is going on? And I remember they came in, she went in, she like packed her stuff, and I remember my mom was like, like, what is going on? Like you you know. She left. I you know, to be thirteen and essentially be handed a child and now you can't go to play sports, you can't do anything after school, all the way till you're 18. Like, there's no homecoming, there's no prom, there's no sweet 16, you are taking care of this child because my mom was a nurse working like a million different jobs to try to support us, yeah. you know? Um, it was tough, it was tough, and that, that she was gone. You know, so um, after that, my mom, like, I think tried to like, have her like, her cousin come in and uh, uh, take care of us, you know, come over from India and take care of us. But that guy was like a hot mess. He was an alcoholic um, and he was just a mess. He never never did anything to like me or my um, my sister that remained, who is four years older than me. Um, but he was just a mess. You know, yeah. she just brought, tried to it's like- It's not a good environment. Yeah, it was just, you know. So I remember one time uh, he was like drinking and um, he broke something. And um, my mom had all these crazy, gaudy, like, decorations around the house because that's, like, something, like, you know, in the culture that, you know, you got to prove how hard you work and how wealthy you are by, like, buying, like, useless crap. And um, <laughs> it's, like, I don't know. It's, like, an Indian thing. Um, and he broke something. And I remember my mom came home from work. And my mom wasn't afraid to put hands on us because she realized she had to. And I remember I, I took some pretty good whoopings, um, as did my sister. Um, and, uh, she, you know, I, I remember vividly, I must've been like six years old. Um, uh, my mom came home and she was like, you know, what happened here? And, uh, he said, oh, Suresh was playing and he broke it. Of course he did. My mom. And he was like, you know, just, you know, drinking somehow. My mom beat the piss out of me. I, this sounds crazy. But I remember at that age, I remember thinking, I'm like, I wonder if I'm going to die right now. I wonder if th this is it. Like, I wonder, I, like, I didn't know when it was going to end. And um, is being heavy handed pretty cultural in the Indian culture? It is. Okay. It is. You know, my mom came from a time where, which I don't know, we probably could use it in this country right now, where like, you know, she would tell stories that like if you stepped out of line in school, the teacher had a yardstick. The teacher would beat you, you know, uh, over the hand or over the buttocks or over the back. Um, and then you would get sent home and you had to tell your parents what happened. And then your parents would beat you some more. If you did something really bad, like if you like stole something, you know, God forbid, like from one of the local, you know, they grew up in like a village. Yeah. They would take you to the middle of the village. All the parents and all the kids would come out. And you would get beaten in the middle of the village. And the shop owner who you stole from is the one who would beat you. Damn. And um, so there wasn't a lot of theft. There wasn't a lot of crime. I mean, it was it, it happened sporadically, but that was very compelling for all the other children in the village yeah. to say, ooh, yeah, no. I think that might be a touch far. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's 
probably a solution in between coddling and that yes that would be appropriate yes and it so that she brought that over here um you know if you do that today you know that's it you know you're gone you know you're you're never yeah, your kids your, are gonna be yeah, yanked yeah, CPS. Yeah, you're never seeing your kids again um so um so that was bad and uh but that was her way to control me you know uh to keep me in line and she she put the fear of god in me she really did. She put the fear of God in me. So I straightened out real quick. So I think when I was like seven, uh, one night, uh, we were watching TV, me and my sister. Um, uh, I don't think my mom was home. I don't I don't remember because she was never home. She was always working. And there was plenty of times where we were like home alone. Um, a brick came through the front bay, bay, bay window, and uh, right behind it was a quarter stick of dynamite. And it exploded on the arm of our green velour couch that was wrapped in plastic. Like, of course, of course, right? <laughs> like that's how you know. Yeah, I can imagine the... the noise it makes as you were to sit on it. Oh my goodness! And in the summertime, <laughs> the noise it makes when your flesh is peeling off of it as you stand up—it uh, was awesome. Um, so, and sleeping on it is even more awesome. You try to put a blanket to like whatever and you slide right off um so it exploded like right near like my sister's head and i remember the arm i remember the smell of the plastic burning and the hole in the arm of that uh sofa and um i was like i was like woken up i was like what was that and all i saw was smoke and there was glass and it was a big melee and um ultimately we found out that's what happened uh the people in the neighborhood banded together and they were like okay well, well we're gonna make them leave and uh through a you know a, ri- a brick or a rock through the window and um, you know um, yeah so uh, at that point my mom was like okay I think it's time to move you know yeah there's not much more you could do to escalate past that if that's their opening move and they were to continue down that path yeah yeah it's not going to get any prettier yeah I didn't know what was going to come next so um, you know she moved us out of there and. Um, uh, she wanted somewhere that had good schools and cause you know, uh, in her culture, um, and anyone with Asian parents will, uh, can attest to this. Either you become a doctor, an engineer, a lawyer, or, you know, something of that level, or else you are a complete loser in life. <laughs> and so there's no pressure is what you're saying. No. And it was not like, it was not hidden. It was very open. Like she would say that. She would say it outright. She would like we would be driving down the street, obviously not a seatbelt or an airbag in the car in her like big Mercury and we would be driving down the street and in New York City there's always construction going on, right? Like everywhere is always construction. And every time without fail, she would stop next to like construction workers and she'd be like, "You see that? You see that? See see those guys out there?" That's gonna be you if you don't study in school. That's it. You're gonna be a loser. You're gonna you're you're gonna throw your life down the drain. There's a term in Indian. I spoke the, I so of course I spoke the language that she spoke growing up, um, and I learned it. Um, and uh, she would you know say, say this term in Indian, which meant you're gonna put mud on your head. That's a literal translation. <laughs> but in English, it's like you're gonna be an effing loser. Yeah. And. Um, I was like, man, this is like, you know, I, I remember even as a kid, I was like, man, like if I don't do this, like she's going to like, you know, kill me. 
So uh, we moved I feel to- like you didn't get asked often, what do you want to be when you grow up? It no. was more like, you're going to be a doctor when you grow up. That was it. That was There was nothing else. I was going to be a doctor. Uh, all her family back in India, her sisters, her brothers, most of them were doctors. Um, so uh, she moved us to this town in New Jersey, in the middle of New Jersey, middle of the state, um, and uh, this little town called Spotswood. And... Uh, I don't know, like, we were leaving a situation because of the color of our skin and our ethnicity. And she moved us to this town that was like, I don't know, it was probably like a small little version of Montana. Like, once again, there was no diversity in the town at all. It was 99.9%, like, there wasn't even any Asian people. There was, like, no Hispanic people. There was nothing. And, um... You know, I guess she met with a realtor and was like, I just want good schools. And this town had just got like something called Blue Ribbon Schools. So I'm like, oh, this town's really good. And she's from an like, educational perspective, that's it. You know, that's all my mom cared about. So she's like, okay, yeah, my kid is going to be a doctor. I was like, you know, playing with like G.I. Joe's like in like the backseat of the car. He's like, yeah, he's going to be a doctor. So I need good schools here. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? So um, we moved to this town. And I remember my first day of school. I was, I think, seven. I was, you know, the brown boy, the black boy. Everyone in the, and not only in my class, I was second grade, but the entire school was, of course, white. And I had like a Staten Island accent, like an Italian, like Tony Soprano type accent. People were like, what is this thing? Where did this creature come from? And it was rough. It was really rough. So I fought to like try to speak like these people in New Jersey spoke. Because when I said certain words, people would look at me funny and be like, what did you just say? I'm like, car. I didn't say car. I said car. Yep. <laughs> you know? So... um, it was like weird. It was like a very. You it's got to be rough at that age too to be able to recognize that and have to put that energy into just trying to fit in. Oh, it, to have to have that in the back of your mind at all times. It was exhausting. Like you know, it's hard enough for a little kid to oh, move yeah. to a new town, you know, and have to make new friends. Because I I liked my little friends on Staten Island. The the kids were awesome. We all got because kids kids don't don't see that. Kids aren't born yeah. with that. You know yet yet yet. So, um, so I, it was tough, you know, and, you know, people teased me, people made fun of me, people like literally would come up to me, like kids would come up to me like, when's the last time you showered? Why is your skin so dirty? <laughs> Jesus Christ. You know, and I like, Fuck. my mom didn't like prep me for any of this. So, and we were getting a little bit older. Now we're getting to like seven, eight years old where it's not kindergarten anymore where everyone's just like playing and sharing blocks and you know snack time and nap time now it was getting to the point where kids were starting to be mean you know and you know there were the little clicks already forming you know and um i'll you know i'll never forget there was like a class party and someone's mom made like cupcakes and she only made enough cupcakes for everyone but me and when like it came time the teacher the teacher actually like said something and she's like well no i only made it for 
you know, like these people. I'm like, wow, like this is like, you know, this is wild. So like as a little kid, like, you know, the biggest thing for me at that time was like everyone else gets to eat a cupcake and I don't like, but I now I look back at it and I'm like, yeah. wow, that was really screwed up. Yeah, to you at that point, it was just about a, cu- it was a about cupcake. It was about sugar. But, but that shit was the expression truly of racism. Yeah. And on a side note, fuck that woman. Yeah. Make you a cupcake. Oh. That, that, see, that to me just infuriates me to no end. Yeah. And um, so like- I would like come home and like try to like so my mom didn't say like she didn't hug us she didn't so we were now living in New Jersey but she still was working in New York as a nurse and like working like illegally with like three different nursing agencies so they wouldn't know how many hours she was working because you could only work so many yeah. hours but she, she she had to like afford this house and she didn't sell the house on Staten Island she rented it out to some people so she was never home she was like never home i like like my i had my other sister that was there but she was you know four years older so she had her own little world going on so there was plenty of times again i'm walking home by myself and get home i gotta like you know like make my own food and then like she would call from the hospital and be like okay do your homework and then whatever and like she would just be like okay do your work do this do this and then i want you to read this letter encyclopedia so we had these encyclopedias that she bought, World Book Encyclopedia, and like they were like broke, we used to have them too. Broken like with the gold bond, like oh, yeah. edging, right? It yep. was It was so it, that was like our Google New set every every year. Yeah, yeah. It would go from maroon <laughs> to blue, back to maroon to blue. Yep. And yeah, it had that like gold leaf on. It. And so she would say, okay, you know, I want you to read like L. Read something from L today, and I'm going to call you later and let me know what you read. So that was what I had to do because I was home alone, you know, whatever. And I never had that opportunity to be like, you know, mom, like someone said this to me today or this happened with like the cupcake or, you know, the whole class got invited to so-and-so's roller skating party, but I didn't get invited. Like I, I, you know, I remember one time I said something like that and she's like, why are you telling me about this? Just focus on your studies. You're going to become a doctor and you're never going to see any of these people again. So just don't worry, which she wasn't wrong, but as a, because like what happens in middle school and high school and elementary school is all trivial in the grand scheme of things. But right? it's still really hard to live through. Yes. As a kid, like that was your whole like when you're a kid and you don't get invited to a yeah. birthday party. It's devastating. It's devastating. Like your whole world is ending. Yeah. Right. And then like the next day everyone comes in and talks about like how much fun it was and everyone has like their candy from the party and everyone's like, I'm like, I'm the only one. I'm like the odd one out. I'm like, wow, this is like but she wasn't that mom. She didn't hug us, she didn't kiss us. Is that cultural as well? It is. It's like very um it's very cold. It's a very cold culture. Um I don't know, you know, it's like you know, that they you know, it's going away from it now, but like that arranged marriage thing where, you know, families meets my family and you're literally marrying someone you've never met before. It's only your family's put you together. You know, there isn't that I don't want to I don't want to make a blanket statement saying all families are like that. Yeah. But I mean, I know for the most part, yeah, it's the norm. It's the norm. Um, my mom didn't tell me she loved me until like, I don't know. I think till like, I was like twenty two, twenty three. Wow. Yeah, and like I never heard those words come out of her mouth, and it only came out of her mouth um, before my first shift. My first shift as a police officer was a midnight shift, and. Um, uh, she's, Which sounds like you didn't become a doctor. No, <laughs> we'll get to, we'll get to that. Um, and she hadn't talked to me for a while, 
And uh, so I remember I talked to her and she called me and she said um, she was angry. She was just angry. I could tell by her voice she was angry. Um, but uh, I remember she, you know, she at that point she told me, she said, are you going to wear your vest? I was like, yeah, I'm going to wear my vest. She's like, I need you to promise me that you'll never go on duty without your vest. Because she had taken care of NYPD officers who had been shot. Yeah. She actually saved this one guy's life. And, like, that guy was, like, forever indebted to her. And, like, he sent her a card, like, every year and, like, for, like, 40 years. Like, it was crazy because she helped. She was on, like, the trauma team that helped save his life. And then she took care of him after and, like, nursed him back to health. And um, uh, I remember she, you know, she went through all these things that she asked me to do. And she's like, okay. She's like, um, you know, I really like you. And I'm like, I could tell, like, it was, like, on the tip of her tongue. And I'm like, mom, I, I know. And she's like, she's like, you know, you're my, my baby son, you know. And I can't have anything happen to you. Um, I don't know why you're doing this to me, but I really like you and I love you. And I was like, um, okay, thanks, mom. I like, I, I didn't know what to say. I was like, I didn't say I love you back because I never said it, you know. And um, she said, just be safe and make sure you call me in the morning when you get home. I was like, yeah, I will. And uh, she said. You know, I'm not going to sleep tonight. And I said, I said, God damn it, mom, with a fucking guilt trip. <laughs> I said, I said, I know. She's like, um, I can't go to sleep until I know you're home safe. And I was like, well, you can sleep, you know. And isn't it crazy how the difficulty in expressing the love for one of your kids? Was she a an empathetic and caring nurse? She was an awesome nurse. Did she? Do you think she showed her patients a greater level of physical care and love than she would at your home? I saw her as a nurse because I had to go sit in the hospital mm-hmm. on many occasions when she was going to be gone for like too long. So I would just have to go like hang out in the hospital and do my homework and wait in like the uh, waiting room mm-hmm. or you know some lounge. Um, sometimes she would put me in an empty patient room and I would just like sit there and hang out and. You know, there was no iPads. There was no, like, I had to, like, read a book or, like, color or whatever. And, uh, you know, her or some of the other nurses would come in and check on me. But I got to see her. Um, She worked in ICU a lot. So people were, like, really hurt. Yeah. And she was, like, really good at what she did. But she was definitely tough love. And, like, I remember watching her, like having to like move people who were like laying down for too long and they would complain and she'd be like, you know, Oh, be quiet. This is, this is what you need. This is good for you. This is what you need. You're a big man. You're a big grown man. So actually similar treatment that you got at home. Okay. You know, but she was good. She was good, but she, she did her job. She knew she had a job to do and she did it well. Um, so yeah, tough love there too, you know? Um, but she truly cared. She cared about her patients and, um, Hard to hard to imagine, or it, I shouldn't say hard to imagine, but interesting that you can show that physical care, but yet extreme difficulty expressing the interpersonal relationship yeah. aspect of that. Yeah, it was it was bizarre. It was like a weird like dichotomy, but um, you know, so 
I was there in New Jersey and, you know, doing my own thing and, you know, try, pretty much raising myself. And she was, you know, raising me from afar. Um, at some point, she try, found some dude in the newspaper from India that her family recommended or something and brought him over here to try to essentially be a babysitter for us. I mean, it really wasn't a marriage, uh, technically. Maybe it was on paper. I don't know. And this guy was just an absolute creep. He was awful with my sister, and he was another drunk. And uh, once again, never did anything to me, but was just worthless. You know, I'm like, I, I was like, we were better off alone, you know. And for my sister's sake, she was definitely, we were better off alone. Um, and uh, so uh, one day he just disappeared. He just left. He disappeared one day, and we never saw him again. I don't know what happened. Um, and then we're back back to us being alone again, you know. And um, things were tough in that town. Uh, you know, I had a teacher call me a monkey in the middle of class, you know. Like, like wasn't even, like, scared to call me that. Like, didn't say it under his breath, like, said it out loud. And, like, as we got older, like, some of the kids definitely – saw what I was going through and um, were a little bit more compassionate. Um, the girls were more compassionate than the boys, believe it or not. Um, but I got into sports. Um, I had to, you know, I had to walk, like, to the other side of town, to the town hall, and sign myself up for soccer. And they would say, you know, you need a parent here. And I would say, well, no, I have a check or I have the money. My mom would leave it for me. Sometimes she would just leave cash in an envelope that I had to like sustain life with that money for until she came home again, you know. That shit would be gone in like thirty minutes. Oh my god! Like, <laughs> how? Thank God she put the fear of God in me once again because I was like, but you know, at that point it wasn't like today where like everything was so readily accessible, you know. But I realized like if I blew through the money, like I wasn't gonna eat, you know. So I I was surviving on ramen noodles before surviving on ramen noodles was cool. Like I like like mac and cheese hot dogs the staples if you will yeah like the the three basic food groups ramen yep. hot dogs and, and mac, and, mac cheese. and cheese yeah right and it was like not even like the good mac and cheese it was like you know like the discount stuff <laughs> so i was like oh my god but you know i had to i had to survive and do that and i i couldn't get mad at my mom because i always knew she was working but it was hard to like you know, walk or ride my bike to practices by myself on game day. She was never, ever there. Um, and it just, that's a, that's the point where you start realizing that you're like, everyone else's parents are there cheering for them after the game, they got the arm around them, whether we lost, you know, and said, Oh, you did good, you know, whatever. And I was like walking home by myself, you know, and everyone was like, Oh, come on. Timmy, I'll take you out for pizza and ice cream. You did well. And I'm like, man, I got to go home. And, man, I wonder what flavor I'm going to have a ramen, chicken or beef. Maybe there's shrimp. I don't know. You know, that was, like, my thing I had to do, like, dejected after, like, a game. It's a lot. And once again, like, it became my norm. Like, we were talking about earlier, like, some people who live in these, you know, crappy situations in some of these inner cities, it, like, someone else from the outside looking in, like thinks, oh my God, that's horrific what they're living in, like gunfire every night, whatever. But the people who are in it, that's like their norm. Like it's not like crazy to them. So what I was experiencing was 
that was my norm. Like I just I saw what was happening, but I was like, that's not my life. Like you know, um, and um, you know, I I that's when I kind of started learning the appreciation for two parents. Yeah, seeing like well, that's got to be tough as a kid seeing what you're describing because at first, as you were younger, no, probably it's wave tops, not even catching that. But like as you age up and you can see what's going on, you have a better understanding. That's got to be a very very painful pill to swallow it you know i i see people today that you know just to go off topic for a second i i see people today that like i'm friends with and like i see they're like they're not close with their dad or some stuff goes on with their family maybe divorce or something and they're like yeah i'm gonna talk to my dad in like you know two years I'm like, bro, are you crazy? If something happened tomorrow, you would never regret putting all that shit aside and just saying, you know what, I'm going to, this guy's my dad. No matter what he did in the past, whatever, he helped raise you. Okay, some stuff happened between him and your mom, whatever. He helped raise you. He loves you. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone screws up. No one's perfect. Wait your turn. It's going to happen to you. Oh, for sure. For, that last part could not be more true. So call your dad. Like, you don't, you're taking for granted having a dad. Yeah. I don't even have the luxury of being pissed at a dad. Like, who taught you how to throw a baseball when we were younger? Your dad. Who taught you how to throw a football? Your dad. Who was there when that girl took someone else to homecoming and was like, you know, screw that girl. We're going we're gonna to go here. We're going fishing. And, like, got your mind off of it. Like, your dad now, like, some like some trivial shit, and you're like, yeah, nah, fuck him. He's a scumbag. He's this. I'm like, bro. You, you know, never know what life's going to throw at you, too, like you said. You'll never regret sweeping that aside and bridging the gap. But if something happens, you will surely regret for not the rest of your life. Forever. Yep. You'll never regret making amends and just manning up and just doing the right thing. But I know people who never had a chance to do that. Yep. It'll haunt them to their last day. Till they're dead. Yep. Till they're dead. They they think about it, talk about it, and they they'll say today, if I had a chance to hit that reset button. Well, there's no reset button. We're not wearing practice jerseys. This is the game. Yeah. So, do what you'll never regret it. But um, so that, yeah, that was uh that was tough. But you know. I learned very early on as I got into like high school that um, I had two choices. Uh, I had no like love and affection from my mom and I had no one to coddle me and like, you know, kind of lift me up. So um, I said, I could either let all this stuff that's happening to me, people making fun of me, people calling me names and whatever, teachers, you know, calling me monkey in the middle of a class. I had one teacher who you know, this is this was like my first hint of like actual like racism, like that I can kind of like not the little kid stuff with like you know, not invited to parties and stuff, but like this woman clearly didn't like me, and I had n no interaction with her. She like taught like keyboarding, which is like you know how to type or something yeah. like that or computers, which and, by the way is probably the most valuable skill that I ever got from high school was typing class. Oh my god, my so my mom made me and my sister learn how to type at home she got like a 
Epson or I don't know keyboard kind of, you know typewriter and I remember early on she said you're gonna never lose this skill so she made sure we knew how to type and um, I remember this was like it was like in 10th grade or something and uh, I remember I left class and I was going to my other class and I, this she just wasn't nice to me and I never did anything like I was quiet like I never like whatever and in high school because of my situation I had to be friends with everyone so I didn't have the luxury of picking a clique at least I didn't think that so I played sports and you know I was involved in a lot of stuff because it kept me busy and it like you know m you know pass the time I mean I signed myself up for Boy Scouts in middle school and you know, I you know went through and did my Eagle Project and do all that because it was just something to keep me busy. Mm -hmm. Sports kept me busy because I realized if I didn't have that, I would end up probably doing stupid shit with my stupid friends who didn't play sports and just would, were hanging out. Idle time. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> God. Like, hey. They were, like, knocking my door. Like, hey, do you have gasoline? We got this stump on the jump that we're trying to build in the woods. And I'm like, yeah, this is a bad idea. But I'm like, it's in the shed, go ahead. <laughs> you know? Um, but so, you know, I remember specifically, like, I had to be nice to everyone. I had to be nice to everyone. I didn't have the luxury. So there were the kids who were, like, all black and Metallica T-shirts and had their long hair and Megadeth. And I was nice to them. And they were nice to me because they just appreciated that I didn't, like, ostracize them like the other kids did. There were the kids that played sports, the jocks, you know. There were the kids that I was on, you know, math team and science team. The nerds. The nerds. <laughs> I was friends with everyone, so I, I had to. I became this chameleon, um, and uh, it helped me. It definitely helped me because people were like, "Oh, this guy like isn't picking a side. He's nice to." Because at that point, like people were like mean. Like the jocks were like would just like treat like the kids in all black and. Were kind of goth, or now it's called emo. High school kids are fucking assholes. It was brutal. They are sharper than a razor blade, and they cut deeper than a razor blade. Like you're saying before, you know, you look back on life, and oh, you know, high school and middle school, it was trivial. Well, yeah, you realize that in your 30s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you're living through it, you're just like, God damn it. It was awful. Yeah, it, it was horrendous. It was awful, you know, and so. I remember in 10th grade, there was this teacher that, like, I was, like, yeah, friendly with everyone in class. And this woman, uh, her name was, ironically, she had, like, the short bob haircut, and her name was Karen. I'm not going to say her last name right now, but her last name is going to be in the book. Um, and uh, because, fuck her. Um, so Concur. I don't even know what she did, but I'm going to agree with that. Um, I leave class one day uh, where um, we were just given an assignment. And um, the you, I don't know if, how to explain this. Remember, like there would be these like walls that would roll out to divide a room into yeah. two, and they kind of like the walls were like fabric. Yeah. And then they would accordion back, you know. So it was one of those rooms, and they slid it, and like half the class was on one side of it, but with an opening in the other. So I was on one side and with some group of kids, and the other side, and you know we were just kind of doing our thing, and then class ended. The bell rang, and. Um, there was an exit out of the side I was on, so me and all my friends went out that exit, and she wasn't even on that side of the class for like most of the class. But we were like, there was only like six or seven of us there, and we were all like kind of talking to each other the whole time. I left the class, and uh, the assistant principal came and grabbed me and was like, Hey, I need to talk to you. 
I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. What's up? And uh, he's like, um, I got to talk to you about what happened in uh, uh, the class with Mrs. So-and-so. I'm like, what happened? I thought something happened to someone else. And he's like, um, what you said to her. And I said, what do you mean? When? And he said, well, just come to my office. So I went to his office, and this woman came in. And I was I was like, oh, hey, Mrs. Whatever. And she's like, don't hey me. I was like, what What are you talking what, what, what happened? She's like, I heard what you said when you were in class, when you were walking out. I was like, when I was walking out? I, I, I didn't even see you. Where were you? She said, you called me a bitch. I was like, what? I said, first of all, you were on the other side of the room. You weren't even with us. And I told this, I said, these six, seven kids were there. We were talking the whole time while we were doing our assignment. It wasn't like a private thing. I said, we all walked out together. I said, while we were walking out, I said this. I said, to who? She said, to me. I said, all right, well, just bring in all those kids that were there. And she's like, we're not bringing anyone in. And the assistant principal was like, this is not acceptable. Um, we're going to you know, give you detention. And I said, on like, what day? And they're like, oh, like Saturday. I said, well, I had like a big like you know basketball game or some game, soccer game or whatever. And I'm like, or maybe it was, I don't know, maybe wrestling. I don't know. I'm like, I said, do I get an opportunity to defend myself here? Because I'm telling you that there was about six or seven other people. This woman, for some reason, I never really had a problem with her, but I could just tell she didn't like me. So I kind of was like, I'm going to skate under the radar. And I remember I turned to her and I said, why are you doing this to me? And she just looked at me and got up and went to the door and walked away. And I was like, so I looked at the assistant principal and I was like, so is this it? This is how it goes? She says I say something and I get no defense and it's her word against mine. I said, and you're not even going to ask the other people who were witnesses? And he's like, I'll see you Saturday for all, all day detention. And I was like, wow this can happen in life and that was like a real that was like the first real like thing that i was like wow this person clearly doesn't like me because of the color of my skin and is willing to just fabricate a blatant lie and uh you know the, the bigger thing i was concerned about I was like i was missing my game on that saturday yeah. or whatever it's a tournament or something and i was like wow so i remember you know i had to like go to detention i forget what what it was and i remember that there was a girl, I don't want to say her name, but um, she was, uh, well, I can say her first name. Her name's uh, Megan. And a uh, beautiful girl, blonde hair, blue eyes. And um, I remember her coming up to me after like, she heard what happened. And she's like, I know that what like happened is like complete bullshit. And I just want to let you know that kills me that you have like no defense here she was so sweet and i remember i was like i was so like you you think you're old when you're in like 10th 11th grade you think you like know a lot right you know a lot of shit right like just i just ask you yeah i was <laughs> like just tell me about anything ask me about anything i got it but i remember in that moment i felt so small and i, f I felt so weak and i remember asking her um i was like is this going to keep happening to me for like the rest of my life? Is this like the first of like, and she was like, I don't know. I remember she like teared up. She's like, I don't know, but I hope not just, you know, deal with it. Don't make it worse and whatever. 
And I wasn't like a, you know, I never got in trouble. I wasn't like a jokester. I wasn't one of those. I was literally smart kid under the radar, play sports, friends, everything. You were still in the doctor pipeline at that point. Right? I was. I, you know, I was like, I had to get good grades, whatever. So um, junior, end of junior year, I ran for senior class president, and I won. I won, and I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow. And, you know, my friends were like, of course you won. You're friends with everyone. You're not in a clique. You like everyone. You treat everyone kindly. So um, that was kind of cool and um, got my first taste of, like, politics and school politics. And I think it burned some of the teachers there that, <laughs> I, you know, I— I can think of one teacher that probably was it, pissed about it. Exactly. Um, side note, she ended up having sex with two of the guys in my class. And um, it was— there's no Facebook or Instagram, so of course, like if that happened today, it's being sent out around to every guy, and especially given her first name. Yes, and nothing happened. Nothing happened. Drinking with students and sleeping with students, Fuck. and nothing happened. And to me, I was like, "This is awesome. This woman is sitting here trying to hurt me, and she's sleeping with students, like." This is like this is this is hypocrisy 101, you know? So uh, some people are pieces of shit. Yeah. I yeah. mean that's what that comes down to. And you know, I never said anything. I I could have. I could have. But then part of me was like if I say something is anyone going to believe me? You know? Or are they going to say oh you're just making it up in retaliation yeah. or whatever? It was like, you know, whatever. So um as you can imagine, I couldn't wait to get the fuck out of there. So I was like, let me get out of there. So um, I got into a program, a pre-med program, just kind of like try to accelerate things down in uh, University of South Florida in Tampa. Went down there, um, biochemistry major, you know, doing what, what I needed to do to become a doctor. And then um, my sister, uh, who was back up here in New York. Older or middle? The middle one. Okay. The older one I just lost contact with. Never gotcha. never saw her uh, again for quite some time. Um, uh decided she was going to join the Peace Corps and was like going away to Kyrgyzstan. I'm like, where is Kyrgyzstan? Never go anywhere with a stand on the end of it. <laughs> Bad. It's the only advice I'm going to give. Just avoid the stands. Bad idea. Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Afghanistan, uh, avoid the stands. And I was like, you're going, where? I'm like, are you crazy? Like, what? She's like, oh, you know, Peace Corps, you know. And she's like one of the strongest women I know. She's like, my sister is awesome and, um, and tough. And uh, so I was like, you know, all right, you know, my mom's going to kind of be by herself. My mom wasn't old at that point, but she was getting older. Yeah. So um, I transferred up to New York City and, you know, I was like, I'm going to go to school in New York City. And, uh, you know, um, started going to school there. Had to, you know, got a little bit backtracked because of transfer credits and all that. And, uh, you know, so I was on the track, you know, doing work in the hospitals with the doctors and um, doing all the courses, you know, taking extra courses, you know. Were you enjoying it? No, I was miserable, but it came, it didn't, it wasn't hard for me. Yeah. I enjoyed science. I definitely enjoyed the science. I enjoy. I loved physics. I loved math. I loved, you know, uh, you know, the biology and the chemistry. Just not fulfilling is it just, your entry into the occupation. Yeah. It just like, I, so at this point, as you get a little progress in college, they start kind of like letting you dip your toes into like what it's like to like shadow doctors and stuff like that. And these people were miserable. They were miserable. 
And I was like, man, is anyone in this hospital like happy to you know be here? And I kind of remember that as a kid with my mom, like the doctors would always come in, the nurses did everything, and the doctors would come in and they'd like come in, pick up the chart, look at it and be like, duh, 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 and they would leave. And I'm like, wow, that guy makes a lot of money for just doing like very little, you know, in that situation. And he looks miserable. Why? Like you just didn't like 30 seconds of work, you know? I know it, it's a little bit more involved than that, but that's as a kid I saw yeah. that. So I was like, man, this is not I like this is not what I want to do. And um so it was uh nearing the end of my program. I was like maybe like a year and a half or two years out. And um uh that was uh when I started thinking about like I I was like I, I gotta like get the courage to like tell my mom like I don't wanna do this. And um I'd always like had this like every little kid at some point looks at Astronaut, police officer, firefighter, you know, somehow, whatever. And um, I didn't have, like, that guidance growing up. So, and the only thing I had that I was allowed to do, I wasn't really allowed to watch TV, was books. And I remember one of my friend's fathers, probably like seventh, eighth grade, gave me this book. Because he was like, you know, you, you know, thinking I need structure, right? And um, I was, it was like a book I didn't read. I was always reading educational books. And I'll never forget, I was in middle school, and I remember, like, what is it? He's like, oh, don't worry, just read it. And when you're done reading it, let me know what you think. And I'm like, all right. And I remember I looked at the book. It, did, like, it, ha it didn't have the paper. It was a hardcover, but, you know, like the paper yep. that covers the hardcover. It didn't have it on it. And I remember I got home, and I remember I opened it, and it said, Rogue Warrior. Fuck. <laughs> I'm like, why did you have to say that? Name? I was like, <laughs> and I was like. God damn it, Dick Marcinko. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, who the fuck is Richard Marcinko? Like. What is this? Why did this guy give me this book? Of all the books he could have given you, he gave you that pile of shit? On the planet. On the pl every book ever written, he gives me that book. So I was like, well, he told me to read it. And like at that point- I actually like, read it too. It's not that bad. No. <laughs> I kind of I kind of liked it. Yeah. Uh, I, and I They got worse as they went. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. It I, became a series. Oh, did it? Yes. There were many more. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Don't waste your time. No? Oh, yeah. don't Amazon it? No? No. Uh, just swipe right. it into the garbage bin. So, you know, anytime like someone's dad like gave me like I like I was like I would take fatherly advice whenever I could. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna read it. So I remember I read it and I got to the end of it. I'm like, these dudes are awesome. I want to like this is what I want to do. I was like, I was like honed in. So I remember I asked him about it, and he's like, Listen, if you ever want to go into the military, this is what you want to do. I was like, Okay, I said. Um, did he did he have a military background? I think he'd been. I think he'd been in the navy. Actually, okay. he'd been in the navy. Was he a seal? No. Okay. No. I, almost positive he wasn't. At least he had some military service. It'd been yes. Yeah. Actually, a slightly more bizarre and awesome story. If he had no military experience, was like, here you go. Here's yeah. your future. <laughs> That's exactly what he, he's like. Here's the handbook. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. I was like, okay. So mind you, like I'd only read like Popular Mechanic and all that stuff, and one know, of my favorite magazines growing yeah, up. Yeah, you know. So I read it, and I remember my mom one time like came in and like saw it like on my nightstand. She's like, "What's that?" I'm like, "Oh, just a fucking instruction manual for life." A manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, just like a book on math that so and so's dad gave me." She's like, "Oh, okay." So, um. 
I had like that I had the bug. And I was like, so there's like dudes like this for real. Like I thought it was only like the movies where you see like Terminator and you see like Rambo and like I I was co very cognizant that this was movies. And now I'm reading this book and I'm like, holy shit, real dudes actually do this stuff? And I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. So I remember him telling me, like, when he was like, hey, did you read the book? And I was like, yeah. He's like, what you think? I was like, these guys, like, these guys are real? He's like, oh, yeah, they're real. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, how, well, like, what do you got to do? Like, he's like, well, it's not easy. I'm like, I'm like, I thought the Navy was good boats. As do most people and, think that. Yeah, and I like and like sailors and you know, you like whatever. I said, like, this doesn't seem like that. He's like, Yeah, not a lot of people talk about it. I'm like, <laughs> oh my I God. like this mystery man. I was like, Okay. So he's like he's like, You should read it again. I'm like, So I did. So I did. And I was like then that gave like the my little that like planted the seed. So as time went on and years went on, I'd always thought about that book. I always thought about it. I was like, Oh man. And so I got to the point where I was not fulfilled in the path I was on, and I was getting the cur. I was old enough. I was getting the courage. I'd like your early twenties at this point. Early right? twenty. I think yeah. I was like just twenty. I like broke out of the teens, and I'm like, all right, I think I have the courage. Like, so my mom was a mom who like was like, if you ever fall off the line here, I will send you to live with your grandmother in India, and she meant it. I remember one time, I don't know. So she was really vague in how she felt. <laughs> So what I'm getting from this. No Fuck. no shake in her like tone. Yeah. Like she would do it. And I believed it because she never threatened or threw out a consequence and didn't follow through with that consequence, which I realize now was a very good technique. As a single mom, she had to. And I remember one time she had I don't know what it was, but it was it looked like a plane ticket. And it was it was like big, but it was like that cardboard perforated edge. And I remember it said Pan Am on it, Pan Am, Pan Am. And I was like, "What is that?" She's like, "That's the ticket for you to go live with your grandmother in India if you screw up." Holy shit balls! And I was like, "Fuck!" I'm like, "It's really hot there. It's really scary there, and like they don't have a lot of food." And like, doctor, it is. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, "Sign me up! Sign me up for medical yeah. school." Um, Just call me Suresh. MD. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh man, I was like, shit. All right. So yeah, that's tough. I mean, was, that's that's definitely narrowing you down a path where there's not a lot of turns. And you you don't want to disappoint the yeah, only person that's been in your life, right? And she was very um she was very vocal about like if you don't do this, you will break my heart. You will be a embarrassment and a disgrace to me and your entire family, and let's be clear. That, clear. That's that's a, a little fucked up to say to a kid, right? And I was like, <laughs> that's oh. not the motivation that's going to get them. You know, there was no like, there was a little bit of you know, if you you know if you do this, you'll have a good life. You'll have a good career. You'll you'll never be worried about money. And there was very little bit of that, and more of like you'll be a loser. You'll have shame no based. Yeah, it was all shame. It was all shame. And your family will like shame you which happens over there you know i didn't realize it doesn't quite happen over here but it happens over there so um maybe I'm about 20 21 um that's when i kind of had the courage to tell my mom that i was going to take a different path and um 
I was going, I think I was like going into my final year where I could like get a couple of degrees because all the classes I took, you ended up, I ended up with like three college degrees because I was taking so much because my mom was just like hammering me to like get done early, got to graduate early. She graduated high school at like 14. So she's like, you got to get done early. You got to get done early um, because you got to get into your residency for surgery, six years residence for surgery. And uh, so I was like, okay. And so it was a lot of pressure. And um, uh, then 9-11 happened. And uh, I just happened not to be in the city that day, but I was on Staten Island. We were back in the house I grew up in. Um, she ended up losing the house in New Jersey. Um, it got foreclosed on. And uh, sounds like she was balancing a lot. She was balancing a lot. And um, but she hid it from us. So it was I don't remember what it was like end of junior year. There was like a knock on the door and it was the sheriff's office and was like um, my mom was at work and it's like uh, and there was a moving truck out front and i was like um what's going on like um yeah you need to get your things and leave and i don't think my sister was home so i was home by myself and i'm like what are you talking about and um i remember there was a woman there who was really nice i'll never forget what she looked like she had short brown hair and she came in and she's like um is your mom not told you what's happening and I was like, I guess like 16, 17, maybe. I don't know. I'm like, no, like, what do you, like, what's that moving truck? Like, what are you doing here? It's like, um, you know, your mom hasn't paid the mortgage in uh, a long time. I was like, oh, like for the house? And she's like, yeah. Um, and it's been like a long time. Like, obviously, they don't do this unless you've not paid your mortgage for quite Pretty some time. Pretty substantially delinquent, yeah. I would imagine. And I didn't know, I had no idea. Um, my mom was working like an animal. So I was like, you know, and we didn't live a lavish life and we were in this like blue collar town we weren't in a mansion by any means. Um, and I was like, I kind of like, I didn't know what was going on, but I also kind of had a personal like connection because my mom was never home. So I was always tasked to take care of the home. So I had to cut the grass. I was a little kid. I was on the roof climbing, cleaning the gutters. I had to like power wash. Like, so... I kind of felt like it was my home. Yeah. You know? And I was like, well, you probably spent more time in it than she did. Yeah. Yeah, I did. And I was like, you can't, you can just come in and, and they're like, yeah, you need to leave. And I was like, I, I was it's a like, lot to process at that age. Yeah. I was like, what is going on? So, um, I called my mom and I was like, mom, like the sheriff's office is here. They said you didn't pay for the house. Like what, like what, what's going on? She's like, I'm sorry. Like I, I didn't think they were gonna do that. They can't do that. She got on the phone. She's screaming at the cop that's there, and um, yeah, that was it. I was like out on the street, and um, one minute I was shooting hoops in the driveway. Next minute I'm like, like, can I bring my Nintendo? Can I, you know, what about my stuff? Like, and um, they were like really good about it. Um, my sister was in college. She's four years older. She was in college. Uh, she was going to Rutgers University, and I was like, "Man, this was like a whirlwind." So, um, my uh, my neighbors, a uh, uh, couple houses down, took me in, and um, I pretty much lived with them through senior year. And uh, they like saved me. They like started taking me to church. And uh, his dad was in the Navy. He was a CB. He has some pretty crazy stories. And I'm like, "You guys built what in how many hours?" And they're like. 
yeah, no big deal. Oh, I've seen him do some shit. <laughs> I was like, what? Those dudes can throw down. Really? I was, oh, yeah. Yeah, so, and he's not like an embellisher either. He's like a, just like a salt of the earth dude. And um, they took me in and they like saved me. They saved me. So I lived with them through senior year and I still now regard them as like my parents because he took me in and became that father figure for me. And they were all, just the, the greatest people uh, in the world. So, uh, you know, I told my mom, I was like, yeah, I'm going to graduate. I'm not going to do the program. And uh, post 9-11, you told her that? Yeah. And um, she's like, you're going to throw your life away? You're so close. You're this. You're that. You know. You. She's like. You're gonna be a complete disgrace. You're gonna be a loser. Fuck. And I'm like. God I'm damn, like, woman. And I'm like, um, yeah. I don't. I don't want to go into medicine. And she's like, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, just throw your life away. But you know, throw mud on your head. Fine. You know, whatever. And I said, okay. So, um, not then. Nine eleven happens, and I was angry, and uh, one of the planes flew over staten island over a house because i remember i was like man that plane is like really low planes don't fly over our neighborhood where we were situated to manhattan and i then it happened and um it was like eye-opening and like it didn't it you know everyone thought it was like a little cessna or something like that you know whatever and then, then it came out like what it really was and then um my sister worked in the city at the time at one of the uh secondary towers at the world trade center though luckily she was able to escape get on a ferry and get mm -hmm. a, uh, get away but there was like some non-contact there for a little bit so it was scary um but once it all settled and like the reality of what it was hit home i was sitting there i was like this is crazy like i never like experienced like any most people hadn't you know like i think the only it threw everybody for a loop i don't think anybody was prepared for an event of that size and nature on U.S. soil. Yeah, and it was, it was something that like hit the whole country. And the only thing I can remember remotely that I remember that mood was, I was in elementary school and the Challenger exploded. I remember them wheeling the TV in on the cart. Yes, and then watching that, and then rapidly turning the TV off and wheeling the cart out. That is so crazy. I remember I was at PS sixty. And I remember they had this big Zenith TV that they rolled in on this with the straps, with the straps holding it down, <laughs> the ratchet straps holding it to the cart. And I remember they rolled it in and they were like, well, we're all going to watch this and gather around children. And then it happened. And I remember the teachers like looking at each other, like some of the teachers gathered and they yes. were like, is this supposed to be happening? Is this? Is we're going to go ahead and call <laughs> school for the day. We're going to... Oh, yeah, that and was I, a rough one. I remember that. And I remember the mood after that. So that was like the only thing. And I was young. But it wasn't an attack against the nation. No. That's what I think flipped people. That's what that's what changed. And um, I remember sitting there like, I cannot believe someone did this to the United States. And I could have been in the city at that point. I had this little internship where I was working for this biometric company and they had a showroom at the World Trade Center that I would go to once in a blue moon. Um, they, I was on the team where managing, they were trying to do a retina scan for ATM machines, and I was on the team for that, doing that, just some nerd shit. And um, I was like, man, I could have like been there, you know? It was kind of, it like hit home. And uh, I remember just sitting there on Staten Island and everything was shut down, like the world was shut down. And I remember my mom like, you know, freaking out and being like, oh my God, thank God you weren't in the city. And then we finally got a hold of my sister and all that. 
and uh she's like i don't you know obviously just you know stay inside you want to so i went upstairs and i you know was watching the tv and i was listening to the radio and it just so happened i don't know how but i saw that book like near my stuff that was piled like by the end of the bed and i was like fuck this and it was a while before I could because everything was shut down and everything. And I, I don't know how long I waited, um, but I went to a Navy recruiting office and I walked in and I walked in with vigor where that guy who was sitting at that desk was like, ooh, I got a live one. And He's I w- already <laughs> checking the box for that month's quota. Ding! <laughs> Ring that cash register. Oh, I walked in and I was like, where are the papers? And he's like, he's like, all right, all right, all right. I think for a few months after 9-11, a lot of recruiters had that experience in all four branches. Yes. Yeah. And because I remember it was this weird, I feel like it was at a mall and you walked in and there was like a glass front to the place. And literally it was like there was Army, Navy, yep. and like, you know, what Air Force or whatever. And I, I'm like, he must have saw me beeline past the other ones. And I like went right into the Navy one. And I was like. Should have just here would have been the, like the big dick move. You just put that book on the table and be like, "This is actually about me. I'm the man starring in this tale. <laughs> I'm the captain now." Yep. And he saw me. He was like, "Oh, okay." So I told him, and he's like, "So you're just like a year and a half away or two years away from being like a doctor?" I said, "Yeah." He's like, "So." Um, you know, I was of age, so I was like, "Yeah." I said, "This is what I want to do." He's like, "I." When I told him my whole situation my, with my mom, he's like, "Okay, so um, listen, uh, I'm gonna give you some paperwork. I'm gonna give you whatever." And I looked at everything, and I was like, "All right." So I remember, um, I'm like, "Well, I'm gonna just out of respect, go home and before I actually do this, I'm gonna tell my mother I'm doing it." And I remember saying, um, "I said, listen, um, what do I have to do to do that?" Navy SEAL program and he's like oh well here let me show you this thing and he showed me and he's like you gotta do this he's like well you gotta take this test he's like but considering your background with what you do in, you know what you studied in college I think you'll do yeah the uh, ASVAB, ASVAB yeah, yeah. And he's like I think you're gonna do well you'll said, do just fine <laughs> even the classes that you're talking about that you enjoyed in high school and college you do just fine on the old ASVAB yeah I was like okay yeah I can take it I can, so um I would have left him with another side note. If I don't come back, it's because my mother killed me. So oh. if I disappeared, just please put her down as the prime suspect. He kind of was feeling that. <laughs> so he's like, listen, I, I know what you got to do. And I was like, all right. So I remember I went home and um, it took me like, I was like, I was having like a panic attack, right? Because I was like trying to like figure out how I was going to say it. And I remember my mom wasn't home and then she came home and I was, it was like a duplex. I was like upstairs and she was downstairs. And I remember... I went downstairs and I walked in and I was like, um, mom, I want to show you something. And I showed her like the pamphlet. And I remember it was like a trifold pamphlet. And I feel like there were like dudes in an inflatable raft, like dressed in black and like coming out of the water and their faces were painted black and they had like guns and I know the exact picture that you're talking about. Boonie yeah. hats. And yep. it was, and I was like, so uh, and she looked at that photo and she looked at me and she's like no (laughs) that was I was expecting the eruption I was expecting like you know what like World War 3 and she just looked at it looked at me looked at it 
she didn't even touch it. She was like, and she's like, no. And I was like, but mom, listen. And she's like, she looked at me and I was like, listen, this is when, you know, whatever. And she's like, no. no. <laughs> like, okay. And she said, you're already killing me by not saying you don't want to be a doctor. Don't kill me by saying you're going to go now do this. This is not for you. This is not what kids like you do. This is not what intelligent, bright kids do. This is for people who school is not for them and becoming an engineer or a doctor is not in their wheelhouse. So they have no other path to take. So they go and do this and they, they're going to go to get shot in some country by these people who hate Americans and all this stuff. That's not you. You are smart enough to go have a career. <laughs> and I was like, Little did she know that the special operations community across all branches has more college-educated enlisted people than the rest of the military. Oh, I mean, and I had done some research into it, and I knew that for those units, you had to be fucking smart. Yeah, they reward intelligence, yeah. and critical thinking, and problem solving. I was like, in my mind, I was like, I could be an asset not only from the standpoint of what I knew from the little bit about, I had always, I just always read about advanced medical training and always because my mom. And I was like, I could be an asset to them. Like I'm good at science, I'm good at math. I know like a lot of medical stuff. I could like really help them. And she's like, no, <laughs> you will kill me. You will kill me. You might as well just put a knife in my heart and you'll kill me. Your mother has a doctorate in guilt trips. Oh, my God. She is a master, like Jedi level. So I was, like, dejected. So I remember, like, I went upstairs, and I put that pamphlet in the front of Rogue Warrior, and I... <laughs> Just tucked your dreams I away. I literally... I told him a bedtime story. I literally tucked my dream away, and um, I was like, oh, it's like, okay, you know. So um, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to fight this. You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go do something to fight this. And um, my friend, who I who took me in, and uh, his dad was a CB. Uh, he had become a police officer. And uh, I remember talking to him. I'm like, "That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna become a cop." So uh, I graduated, and um, I did a little bit more research work. And uh, um, I said, "I'm gonna apply to be a cop." And I said, I'm going to apply to state police. Because everyone's like, you got to go to state police. You know, got to go to state police. They're like the best of the best. They got the best resources. A guy like you with your education, whatever. And uh, so I did. I was like, okay. So I went. So I, New York State Police? New Jersey. New Jersey. New Jersey, yeah. Which is an organization I know dog shit about. Yeah. Nothing. It's, I mean, it's, you know, pretty high speed as far as state police agencies go. But, you know, always politics involved. Um, but it was large and they had different units that you can, you know, go to once you did your time on the road. Uh, so I said, that's what I'm going to do. And then uh, in that process, someone was telling me about this town in Jersey, South Jersey, uh, called uh, Wall Township. They're like, man, these guys are like best of the best. They got the best equipment. They got the best training. Da, da, da. So I was like, I'm going to go check them out because they're like they're number one paid in the state. And making good money was important to me to make my mom like get off my back a little bit. And I was like, oh, how much? And someone was like, oh, they make more than the state police. I'm like, oh, okay. But they, but they are state police? Or no, they okay. were a local town, a gotcha. small town. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go do that. I'm like, all right, awesome. So uh, I remember I drove down there, and um, I walked into headquarters, and there was like a big glass dispatch window, 
and it was like the record screeched and i remember i (laughs) i walked in and like everyone was like having conversations and then i walked in and everyone was like and i was like hi how are you um uh, i heard you're hiring i'm here for an application and the dude at the desk just like looked at me for a second I think like he, you were fucking with him. I thought he thought I was like fucking with him, and I was like, "You, you are hiring, right?" And he's like, "Yeah," and I was like, "May I have an application?" He's like, "You sure?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Okay." So he gave me like the packet that I needed, whatever, and uh, he's you know this is when the t- physical test was coming up, and everyone talked about how hard the physical test was. And uh, I was like, at that point, I was already in. My, I was already training on my own because I thought I was going to boot camp. So I'm like, and I wasn't a strong swimmer, so I knew that was something I had to like. Was work. swimming part of their test? What's that for the police? Was swimming part no, of their test? No, I was okay. thinking about for the Navy. Yeah, because obviously you were rogue warrior part. Duh. Yeah, right. So yeah. I'm like, I'm like, yeah. So I gotta like become like, like a strong swimmer here. Yeah. And the only swimming experience I had was getting my like life-saving water rescue badge for my Eagle Scout in Boy Scouts, you know? And I was like, I know I'm not a strong swimmer, so I got to learn how to, you know, whatever. So anyway, I look at this test and I realize they have a swimming port. I'm like, what is, this town is not on the beach. I don't think they have a body of water. Why do they have a swimming test? So it like kind of made me nervous. So I started asking around. People were like, oh, bro, you're never going to pass that test. It's the hardest test in the state. It might be the hardest test in the country. I was like, and you're talking about like the physical screen screener, yeah, just the basic screening test that you yeah. have to pass to continue on to continue on in the application process. Yeah, okay. And I'm like, what? Yeah, what do they want you to do? They're like, oh, it's like they're like, you know, most police departments when they test, there's one phase. You go there, you got to do some push-ups, you got to do some sit-ups, you got to do some pull-ups. They count how many you do, um, and then they maybe do a timed run. They said, no, not this town. Phase one of three is you got to do all those things plus some, but you got to do it all in a row. Um, and they start you off with a mile and a half run that you have to do in a certain amount of time. And then no break, they usher you right over to you know as many push-ups as possible. And like the, the standards to pass are like pretty high. high. Yeah. So then right after that, you got to go to the next broad jump and then the next thing you know, pull-ups. And then, so then they have a couple of like little like, 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 Things where like you had to like pick up a, like a hundred pound dummy and like run with it. Oh, interesting! It was like a functional test. Yeah, it was like real. I was like, oh wow! And I'd never, I'd never picked up anything that was a hundred pounds in my life like that, like dead weight. And then they had like a hundred and fifty pound like dummy where you had to drag it through like this little like cone up and down and bring it back. People were dropping like flies. Oh, I bet it was, especially if they were considering or thinking about it was going to be the traditional test. Yeah, it was crazy. I had prepared a little bit, but I hadn't prepared to that degree. So, but at least thank God I was in shape. I showed up to that test. There was four hundred dudes waiting at the high school in the town, lined up to take that test. I was the only black dude. Four hundred dudes that all looked like Abercrombie and Fitch models, and there was me. I looked up and down that line. I was like. Cool. So that is when people started telling me this town had the KKK based in it many years back. They've never hired a minority. What year is this? 2002. Surprised they could hide in plain sight like that. Yes. It was overt. They didn't try to hide it. I think they had one woman that 
was there for a little while and then left shortly thereafter. And um, so no women, no minorities, no Hispanics, no Asians, no nothing, just white dudes. That's a diversity nightmare. Yeah. And the town pretty much was like that. And they, I guess, were maybe trying to keep the town like that. So when I went there in late 01, early 02, um, I couldn't, I'm like, it's 2002. There's no diversity in this whole police department. So I was, and then people were, and I, so when I started telling people I was preparing for that town's test, they were like, bro, you're never going to get hired there. And I remember hearing this like in high school, like when I was like trying to, you know, run for senior class president, people were like, you're never going to get voted president. So, you know, everything in life, you're never going to, you know. So here again, I was in another situation where you're never going to hire there. They've never hired anyone, any minority. They don't even like hire women there. Like, what are you crazy? And you got to know the mayor, you got to know the chief and whatever. I'm like, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to I'm going to come out number 1. So I took the test and uh I passed. Um there was like, there was a written test in there somewhere which of course I passed easily. And then after that first phase where people were dropping and like they had the paramedics there it was bad. It was a bad scene. <laughs> it was a bad scene. You want to talk about dudes that were <laughs> not in shape. You want to talk about dudes that looked like they were in shape? Yeah. Show, show muscles. Show muscles which they were not in shape. I was like, "Ooh, man." So um, then I got invited to phase two. Phase two was swimming. And it was the mm. pool test. I was like, okay. Uh, I didn't know a lot about it, but I tried to ask different people about it. And they're like, oh, it's bad. I'm like, what do you got to do? <laughs> and I'm like, they're like, they throw you in a pool. I said, okay, why is there a pool test for a police officer? I said, like, think about the Navy. I get it. I said, there's like... There's no water in this town. There's like a pond. You, I think you can walk across it. And they're like, no. They apparently had a dive team. I'm like, for what? Like the puddles? So anyway, I found out what was on the pool test. And it was, you know, you got to tread water uh, for 20 minutes. And then you got to go down to the bottom of the pool. I don't know if you were blindfolded. And retrieve certain objects. I don't know if you were blindfolded or not. Don't quote me on that. Maybe you could. Maybe you had. You could. You know. See. I don't remember. And then um, you had to go up and back like 200 yards. Maybe it was like 100 yards down or you know whatever. Um, and then maybe you had to do the treading water, whatever. So I was fine with everything except the treading water because I sink like a rock. So I I was like okay. So I at least you knew what to prepare for. I yeah. So I prepared. I trained. I did what I needed to do, and I made it. And that was just pass fail, you know. And that was all the phase two was the pool. That was all phase two of the pool. Okay. And then how many are we at now at, from this four hundred? How uh, many made it to phase two? I, I think maybe only like maybe one hundred and fifty. Oh wow! Yeah, so maybe over fifty percent already yeah, wiped. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, after phase two, um, you got to wait to get see if you got invited to phase three. See, after phase one, you have to wait to see if you get invited to phase two. After phase two, so then uh, I got. It was like, I don't know how, long, how much time went by, and then I got invited to phase three. Phase three was physical combat. And I was like, okay. I like this phase. <laughs> I was like, tell me more. What is going on here? You'll so, need to bring your own steed <laughs> and lance. <laughs> this will be a duel. Yes. <laughs> Choose your weapon wisely. So I was like, okay. And they were like, um, so how it works is we pair you up with someone who's similar size. And um, and at that time, I wasn't, like, into lifting weights. So I was pretty lean and lanky. And um, 
for two minutes. You go on the mat. And I saw wrestling mats, and I was like, oh, because I wrestled growing up. I'm like, oh, okay, I got this. For two minutes, you and your partner are going to go on the mat. He has a gun belt on with a fake gun, and you are the bad guy. You have to try to get that gun away from him. And it was like no holds barred. This is an interesting test as part of the selection process, in my opinion. This is really bizarre. Bizarre. Phase one and two, I can kind of get. Yeah. Phase three, absent any training, we're going to give you a belt that you would be issued later on with a weapon and just have you guys beat the fuck out of each other. Fight it out. Interesting. And um, no uh, no closed hand striking. And of course, like, you know, no biting and nothing to the groin. But you Were have there to... any other, like, objective measurements or were they just standing there watching you guys go to no. town? Just stand there, and there was they were all yelling at you, screaming at you. At every phase, there was guys yelling at you and screaming at you. During phase one, during the pool phase, just people yelling at you, screaming at you, berating you. Very interesting. And then, um, uh, you know, phase three. So I remember I got on the mat with this guy, tall, lanky guy like me, and um, I'm like, this is the final phase. And there, at this point, there was only like, I don't know, definitely under 100 dudes left, maybe only like, 80, 75, 80, uh, maybe way less. So I said, it's on. All right. So um, I remember he um, he was the bad guy first. I had the gun, and I just and I didn't know what to expect because I just there no one knew any, knew about this. So I said, well, is if I just lean on the gun, he can't get it. So I just use one hand to push him off, and I just kind of you know leaned on the gun. And for two minutes, I just kept swatting him away, and uh, he wasn't able to get it. So the pass is, the ultimate pass is retention of your weapon. Retention of your weapon, and then on the other side, you if you get the weapon, you know. So then that was two minutes. It was like the longest two minutes of my life, and then we switched. He got the gun, and I had to try to get it away from him. And I was able to get the gun out of the holster. He still had like a hand on it, but I got it yep. out of the holster and whatever. So I figured I was like, all right, I'm like, I'm pretty good. People were getting, people were getting jacked up. People were like breaking fingers. People were like, you know, collarbone. Bra- it was like, so I'm saying, man, this is really yeah. bizarre. People had dislocated portion. shoulders. It was really crazy. So it sounds um, like great YouTube content, though. Oh my god! It or was- even like 60 second Instagram, <laughs> that would be spectacular. And I, I didn't grow up fighting. I grew up wrestling, so I had a little bit of a base. The people who were, were around me, you could just tell that yeah. most of them had never been on a Cat mat. out of water. Oh, yeah. Or in water, however that saying goes. So, um, Or it's a fish out of water. Fish out of water. Why the hell did I just say did cat? Say cat? I did. I said cat out of water. <laughs> it's been a long day. <laughs> um, so, you know, made it out and um, then got to the background phase which took like months and months and months forever and then a psych phase and all this stuff and um ultimately the guy i actually wrestled with um uh fought with the gun he got hired before me and i found out he got hired through like some people who knew him so i figured well if he got hired you're shooing i I mean I'm, i'm i gotta make it i didn't hear anything i didn't hear anything i'm like well i beat him so how could like you know I found out he ended up being working at the bar that the chief and the captain used to go to, and that wouldn't make a difference. So there'd be no undue no influence there. Absolutely not. <laughs> and he got hired with the bartender at that bar, who would take care of that time, the chief and the captain, and 
make them their drinks, whatever. So those two guys got hired, and I was like, oh, man. I, I said, all right, whatever. So I guess I didn't get hired. Months later, um, you know, I'm home. I'm like a loser. My mom's like, go get a freaking job. I didn't know what to do. Um, I left that um, that research job because 9-11 happened or whatever. So I got a job at um, Lowe's Home Improvement. And um, I was there for like 11 months. I started stocking shelves on the midnight shift so I could take time to take police tests and did that test. And um, I ended up becoming store manager within like 11 months because it wasn't hard. It wasn't too tough. Like, you know, you have your act together, you're, you know, you're squared away. I feel like you can handle it. Yeah. And so, and I was like a kid. I was a kid. Yeah, that's right. Fuck, I forgot. I was you're a in kid. your early 20s. Yeah. And I like at, handed the keys to the store. I was like, this is crazy. And uh, then I got a call one day out of the blue. My assistant, my secretary said, um, I was out helping on some customer issue. And uh, she's like, uh, you got a call from a lieutenant so-and-so? I'm like, what? I had already, fr- I thought I was not getting yeah. hired. And so um, I called him back. And uh, he's like, hey, how are you? This is uh, lieutenant so-and-so. I was like, oh, how are you? And they'd come and they'd talk to my friend's family who kind of helped raise me. I told them, I said, listen, you can talk to my mom, but she's crazy and she doesn't want me doing this. And the detectives were cool. They were like, so who are these other people? I was like, oh, man, they're great. They raised me. You know, you know, they took me in. They're like, we'll go talk to them. And also, please don't talk to my mom. <laughs> I said, did, I, did I mention don't talk to my mom? Let's open and close with this very important fact. <laughs> you cannot speak to my mother. I said, it's for your own good. I believe me, it's for your own good. And they were like, yes, got it. Yeah, Probably um, not the first time they've heard that, actually. No, no. Yeah. You know, So um, they got it, and they were cool. And they did. They talked to everyone in that town. They talked to everyone in that town. And asking if I was a good kid, they talked to the the post office, you know, the, the you know the postman. So um, I uh, he called me. He's like he's like um, you know I, I'd like to extend an offer of employment. And I was like shocked. I was like, what? Uh, How many months after you taking that final um, test? About a year. And how soon did that guy you were wrestling get fired? No, he. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, hired. Sorry. Um, he was hired immediately after that test. He went to the academy. So within a few months. Yeah. So he. Interesting delay he, in time there. Yeah. So um, he got hired almost immediately, and he went through the academy. He was in the class before me. Okay. So um, uh, so I uh, had to go through a psych eval, which was crazy i've done it it's bizarre it's so bizarre the written test the i did the written and the computer test is the pole vault your favorite televised event i remember that question to this day and you can't say yes or no strongly agree strongly disagree right it was it was kind of agree kind of disagree it was the most bizarre series of written questions and then it was followed by and it was all in a row so i was there for like three hours yeah and um uh then it was this computer thing where like there was questions like how many times were you on the cover of time magazine in the last three years six <laughs> of course <laughs> <laughs> so i literally i was like looking around i'm like are they fucking with me and i'm like zero like it was like yeah it's you know? really weird those tests are bizarre so then after you get done this dude who looks like sigmund freud i will never forget his name dr white sits in front of you and like asks you questions and he's looking at your answers he's like so tell me about this and i'm like 
and you're like nervous like you don't want to say anything because you're like I don't want to say anything like makes me sound crazy I don't think I'm crazy but these two things I just did are making me question like life like you know I eat chicken with a fork and a spoon or it's like some crazy shit I'm like what the f what is this gauging so anyway I got done with him and I was like oh my god so that all went through and then uh then there was like the oral board where you go in front of like the captains and the lieutenants and uh sergeants and i remember waiting in the lobby i had my suit and tie on and you know i remember i was sitting there and there was two dudes there um before me and they came out and they took the first dude and like you know 35 45 minutes later he came out he looked like he had just like you know been like in a in a serious interview and then the next dude went and Maybe like forty-five minutes later, he came out just looking mauled, just like looking like 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 dejected, <laughs> like they like he just spent an hour with my mom. Yeah, you know. And uh, I was like, I'm like, well, I got this. You know, my mom's been beating me up for years. You know, it's verbal abuse. I could, you know, what are they gonna do? So I prepared the best I could. I went in there. I was in there for three hours. Shit. They were trying to get anything and everything on me. They just made stuff up. And I until like and they were like and I just wouldn't break. They're like, oh, tell us about this, tell us about this. I forget what, something they said. They're like, tell us about this weapons offense. I'm like, that never happened. And like I remember the lieutenant, like he's like, are you calling me a liar? I'm looking at it right here. I'm like, that never happened. No, I don't know what you're talking about. And then like they would just kind of just try to break you. Three hours, longest interview in like that department's history. So finally I got hired, and. Um, I realized very early on what I had gotten myself into. It was very apparent that they didn't want me there, but because of, I think, how I did, I think they couldn't not hire me. They didn't have grounds to dismiss you for any reason. Right. Thank you again to Duke Cannon for supporting the Clear to Hot podcast. And for the listeners, you can get 10% off your entire order at DukeCannon.com when you use the promo code CLEAREDHOT, plus free shipping on orders over $25. Food for thought, Christmas is right around the corner, and I, hopefully my kids don't listen to this, am going to fill stockings with a lot of their stuff. And perhaps that would be a good idea for you too. See you all next week.